Hi, I'm James Taylor. Hi, I'm Marco Sparks. Welcome back to Bros Watch PL2. This week we're talking about the finale of season one, S1 E10, Enter the Professor. Mm. Marco, you're here. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking right at you. This isn't live, but uh, we're recording in the same location. Lots of icons. For the first time since the last episode of the old PLL, the last one I saw we did was the end. I feel like we've, didn't we record something? Something for headcanon, but not for PLL. Okay. Because I would say, didn't, uh, didn't we do Tina's Hot Dogs? Tina's Hot Dogs. The Fantastic Beast, the first one? Maybe. Yeah, I think. I think I came down to see Maybe. You. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Go get hot dogs. Yeah. Uh, back in your illustrious podcast studio, podcast impresario. In my Burbank studio. Yeah, you're hot, hot in the, the Hacks Unlimited Burbank studio, home of Head Cannon, Bros Watch Pillow 2, Hank's Watch, I presume? Uh, Hank's Watch records here, yes. Fantastic. A lot of fine shows recording here. Also, you have really upped the uh, Precious Moments nerd figurines here are these two fleurs yeah i keep getting fucking fleur and the little uh these little like boxes you get where you don't know like what character you're gonna get from where barnes and noble okay um it's always fucking fleur we're recording this before we would do a meetup but i would love it if people just brought you fleurs no i have plenty I think I gave them away for Christmas to other people because I had so many. But uh, none of those are precious moments. I don't know what you're talking about. All these little like uh, Funko Pop things just feel like precious moments nerd stuff to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's... Don't you have a lot of Funko Pop stuff? I have like maybe two. Mm, okay. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Well, shall we talk about Enter the Professor? Yes, the Professor. Written by I'm Arlen King, directed by the Written PLF by... Godfather, Norman Buckley. I'm Arlen King and Kyle Bound. Oh, was it? I mm-hmm. was that like a recent thing? Because it's not on IMDb. It's on the episode though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Come on, IMDb, up your game. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, do you want to do some general thoughts, or actually, no? Before we do that, real quick. Okay. Gotta hype this again. Hype um, it because we don't. Yeah. We don't ask for money. We don't do ads. No, we don't do ads. We don't do Patreon. But we did write a book, and we think you should go buy it on Amazon or your preferred. Uh, ebook or really publishing platform yeah it's on kobo it's on nook it's on apple books go to my name is trouble.com you'll find some links there which i guess i should update those soon but uh, or just you know go search for it on your ebook platform of choice or you can get a paperback book through amazon or other major booksellers uh the release date is tuesday may 28th mm-hmm. 2019 it's a teen murder mystery go buy it you'll like it it's a little it's a little threatening i like it I guess I'm just, I don't know, afternoon energy. We normally record late at night, but it's the you middle of the day. you have afternoon energy? Yeah. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. So glad. I'm, I'm... You were about to fall asleep, I saw. <laughs> so one of us has got energy. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, also, uh, too late to matter, but we're doing a meetup tonight at the Angel City Brewery in Los Angeles. So, uh, I think I'll actually probably post this before we go. But okay. uh, yeah. yeah, so don't like murder us tonight or anything. Unless you're Keegan Allen, then it's, you're allowed. Oh, what if Keegan Allen did the audiobook for Trouble? Mm, no, I mean, by, by the way, people have been asking us about an audiobook and like, are we going to record ourselves? Um, let's just say the sales are amazing. We'll mm-hmm. think about doing an audiobook. Mm-hmm. Uh, audiobooks are, that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally, I'd probably rather have a woman do all the voices than me. But I don't know, that's just me. You don't want Shower Harvey to do it? Uh, no, that might. <laughs> if we could get Trey Davis, you know. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. God, that'd be amazing. She's back on the Instagram intermittently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 8 p.m. Friday, if you happen to be listening to this, like maybe in the half hour that we post it before we show or up there. Maybe you're listening in the back of like a lift on the way over. Mm-hmm. Um, please don't bring any weapons. Don't kill us. I don't want this to be the last. Is that a concern of yours? It's bound to be how this ends, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Episode time. Episode time. Do you have any? You said you have shorter thoughts. I, I didn't make as many like finale really... that sets up presumably the massive mythology of the show. But you're like, I have less to say. No, what I was saying is I didn't make as many just like angry comments in the, in my notes. Okay. You know. Um, it was pretty good. I mean, probably the best episode of the season, at least parts of it. You know, it's it does have a little bit of that kind of last. Uh, it's not quite the same, but like the last, this the PLL finale where it's like are kind of like half the episode, and the other half is just like whatever. You know, mm-hmm. um, I would say it's between this and like episode four. I think are the two strongest. But again, I, I feel like I've said this before. I, I really don't mean this. Just, I feel like I'm Marlene King is both her her best own secret weapon and her worst enemy like half this is great half this i don't know like she has some sensibilities that i think are amazing it's some of the things that she steers into i mean i i can't i don't know i, I shouldn't belittle a, a creator for like wanting to do stuff with relationships but like i feel like mona and mason for example is a it's a huge oh, yeah, that's been like a four episode long misfire yeah. yeah it's and it's presumably it's like heading to this, you know what I mean? Like yeah. all of that was a setup to come to where we are here. And but I mean, like it's like the professor stuff, which again, we split up our, our notes when we prepare for these episodes. So when I finished it, like the 21 minute mark, there wasn't a fucking iota of the professor. So it's like it's mm-hmm. all at the very end. This episode really felt to me like it would be like a season two premiere. It seems like we're like kind of trying to wrap up a bunch of stuff. You know, there's like a big cliffhanger in the finale of the previous season, and now we're kind of repivoting towards some new stuff only it's happening in a finale instead i would agree with you in the sense that it doesn't feel like like some of the stuff should have been metered out before this mm-hmm. this professor stuff should have been i don't know i, I mean, mean seemingly this is the whole season was all building up yeah to but this i'm not sure why the, like i feel like you could have gotten there in the pilot if not in the second episode comfortably you could have gotten to the professor but it's it's alex drake all over again this should have started earlier i think mm-hmm. um than the last episode i don't i don't think we really effectively use the last 10 minutes or 10 episodes of screen time to like it all culminated to this it's all kind of like well we kind of halfway got to know these characters as they fucked around mm-hmm. for 10 hours and then finally oh here's the plot here's this is the show finally like the show's been recontextualizing itself like every episode and then now finally it's like ta-da this is what it really is and it's like why didn't you just do that in the pilot seriously like there this absolutely all could have fit Mm -hmm. in the pilot and it would have been a much more perfect integration and not just the professor but like whatever the fuck the crimson society is like integration of all five of these characters Mm -hmm. yeah all right, well, let's dive on in. You want to take away with the opening? Sure. Uh, picking up sometime after the end of the last episode, we're out there by the by the water still, out in the woods somewhere. It's daytime. We're hearing these sounds of sirens. We see, it's right where they were in the last like said, scene. Wherever wherever they were in the last scene of the last episode. See an ambulance. Its doors are being shut as it drives away, presumably with uh, Jeremy Potter in the back. Uh, we move past it. I've been calling him Knott's Commander. Knott's Commander? That's not bad. 
Uh, we move past it. Seeing Claire Hotchkiss talking to some guy in a suit. This is presumably uh, Dr. Ashley Benson. Uh, we see that there's some cops. There's some cars there. We keep panning over to where Booker's taking a group of statements from the combined like PLL perfs. Um, it's almost like she's a real cop. Like she's got her cop notepad what, out. What, what is she doing? This is on campus. Like, which is crazy because there are real police officers there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and even still. You were an FBI agent, so you didn't have to take statements like this. It's stupid. Anyway, so Booker and Claire are, you know, still in their like dresses from the party, just like long coats over them. Oh, uh, we had to see like the kind of horseshoe. Real quick, allow me to interrupt. Could she not have just still been an FBI agent? Like, did she have to be like fired from the FBI? Like, could it just be like, oh, that's Booker? She was the FBI agent who like was hunting down my father as well. I don't know. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> she just enrolls for a single class just to get close to Ava. Yeah, that's right. Now I have an excuse to be on campus watching you. <laughs> I have uh, I have a note from a reader who emailed us to talk about um, how a little bit of how they could have made Booker work, like within the confines of the law. It's interesting. So in the horseshoe, this combined PLL perps thing, we have Dylan, Alice, and Kate. Does it include getting deputized? No. Oh, darn. Sadly, no. Um, presumably back in Rosewood, Mayor Toby could deputize people. Ta-da, you're a deputy. Let's posse up. Let me just tell you, Rosewood RFD or whatever it's called, uh, whatever the the Rosewood spinoff is where they go back to Rosewood, some kind of crisis happens, some kind of new A, and then like Toby's just like, time to posse up. I, I you're think, deputized, you're deputized. I believe the show you're referring to is called Actual Bad Guys. Actual Bad Guys, I don't think we thought would take place back in Rosewood. <laughs> I think it took place in Allentown. Yeah, it took back in Allentown. It's them and Billy Joel, and it's a real bad time. So we don't have Taylor here. Um, Allison says to Booker, it was self-defense. And Ava says, Jeremy attacked Taylor. And Booker makes this extreme hmm face. Dylan says, oh, she saw him to protect herself. Booker says, why would he want to hurt Taylor? Mona says, Taylor wouldn't let him escape. So he came after her. Jeremy killed Nolan. I cannot eat this microphone anymore. Yeah, get closer to the mic. Like mouth yeah. on it like yeah. this? Yeah. This is so gross. Uh-huh. I feel like I'm going down on a Muppet. Continue. Is this, I mean, is this audible? Yes, just, just okay. get close to the mic. I seriously have my lips on this thing. Um, I feel bad for your other podcast. who's in here now. You better watch this. So most of the girls are burrowed in their long coats as if it's very chilly out there. And Mona looks like extra adorable in her leopard print coat. And Booker's like, why? And Mona's like, well... She kind of tosses the eyeball football over to Caitlin, who realizes that she's going to have to say something here. And she says, uh, he was my boyfriend while I was dating Nolan. Booker's like, oh, dear. Shouldn't Booker have known this? I don't know. Seriously. But the, like way she she, the way she knew everything else that was going on, seems like she should have known this. Well, in general, though, the way Caitlin worded that doesn't make her sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, so Caitlin says, uh, Jeremy wanted me to break it off with him, but I wasn't ready. Jeremy told me what he did. He wanted me to go away with him tonight. But I, I, I told my friends to come here so we could try to convince him to do the right thing and turn himself in. And Allison's like rubbing Caitlin's shoulders. Well, the way she tells that, Booker already knows about this blackmail mm-hmm. that uh, Nolan had, the the picture mm-hmm. of the, the mom's mm-hmm. affair. So like she doesn't really need to like dance around the subject here. She could, no. I, I mean, maybe she doesn't want to make it seem like she would have more of a motive or something. I don't know. But she could just be like, Nolan was blackmailing me to pretend to be his girlfriend, but I was actually dating this other guy. But that was like, 
eight episodes ago. Yeah. Everyone's forgotten that. Um, so Allison's like rubbing Caitlin's shoulder. Booker's still like looking around the group, this arched eyebrow, like she's suddenly heard truth for the first time from them. And Allison says, no one expected him to go after Taylor because I love her. And Ava says, Jeremy was stalking Nolan. Taylor found proof. It's all here. And then she like instantly whips out a flash drive for Booker and Claire Hotchkiss walks over. They have so much faith in the flash drives that they hand over to Booker and Claire Hotchkiss. Second time in a row they've handed them over. Am I crazy? Is like Claire doing a little bit of a limp in the half I, second? I did not notice. Um, so Allison says to Claire, is Taylor okay? Claire says, luckily a family friend was at the gala tonight. Dr. Benson's taking her to a retreat. She's in good care. We see that Riverwell SUV driving past. That's what happens when you shoot somebody and you're rich. That fucking after credit scene is so wild. Uh, so she's driving past Claire. She's saying that. She like turns her head and watches it go. I'd be a little more. I'd want to make sure my daughter's actually in there and not driving at this time. But Allison lowers her head, like bummed that her girlfriend's like going away. Uh, I'm not that bummed. And Claire's like, Taylor told me everything. I can't thank you all enough for what you did to protect my daughter and expose the man who murdered my son. And that hits Caitlin hard either because she feels guilty because she was dating Jeremy who might have actually done some dirt to like protect her. Or on some level, she knows there's another explanation, probably. Um, and Claire says, I hope you accept my apology for believing you had anything to do with Nolan's death. And Dylan does like a slight head nod. And Ava's like just listening. And Claire says, I was blinded by grief. Uh, and I put my trust in the wrong hands. And she kind of like turns her head to like Dana Booker beside her, making this like point like crystal clear. And like Dana does like I mean, a... No shit, Claire. Yeah. Dana does like a, like a slight contrite head nod. And Mona's just like, we're just glad it's over. And Claire's like, I'm not giving you your fucking job back. <laughs> but she says to everyone, thank you again. And she walks off. So Caitlin would like to like, like pause her feeling guilty, do some like dunking here. And she says to Booker, uh, what you did to tear us apart, it brought us closer together. And like, she says in a way, like, I feel like even she's mystified by the outcome. Um, I, I could do with less of this. What if like one of them just like threw packing peanuts in the other's face right now? It just seems like the script is working way too hard to convince us that how close these people are mm-hmm. rather than showing us. Like, what if I just pulled out some packing minutes and threw them in your face right now? Go for it. Um, I call your bluff. <laughs> I actually looked for some in my house last night as I was packing. She says it in a way like... She's then we would just flash back to that moment constantly. And the people listening to this would be like, why is there five minutes of silence? So Ava defined to Booker's like, and it made us stronger. So like it like it hits it hard or you know, hard, harder to like hear that from Ava, you know, for Booker to hear that. And Allison being sass, he's like, but you get an A for effort. And it's like, I guess that's a good one. I don't nice know. Nice one. Yeah. yeah. Is this supposed to be a gif? I guess it's a gif. And Booker's like, well, and she like shakes her head, walks off. So it's just Allison, Caitlin, Mona, Dylan, and Ava again. And Dylan's like, let's go home. And Ava kind of like leans into him a little and they walk out of frame and that's our cold open. Am I just misremembering or did it seem like PLL had way less of these kind of like, I don't know, like wholesome spirit building pep talks about how they're, they've been brought together and they're friends. Like it was more like they, they obviously were very close, but mm-hmm. it felt like they never, they didn't need to declare it as much. I think part of it is whenever PLL did anything in that arena, it felt earned. Well, it was also like, it wasn't like 10 episodes in, I feel like, you know, like mm-hmm. it seems like they, it was like a real moment had to happen for them to kind of, to kind of go there. You know, <laughs> this show's like, it took us 10 episodes to hit Hannah of a car. Yeah. What if we did in five? <laughs> 
So the credits here, the, the shot that they use is the shot of them ducking down from what we'll find is out as an explosion later at the RV. It's a really weird shot. It happens to be one where they're doing some like fake slow-mo mm. that doesn't look very good because it's like not, it looks like it wasn't actually filmed at like double or triple speed or whatever. Mm. Um, I don't know why they used, of all the shots they could have used, why this one? Like why not the explosion? That was a way better mm-hmm, shot. Mm-hmm. Or some kind of setup pre arrival of the professor in the Crimson Society room. Or the, yeah, there's a, there's an angle of them behind yeah, uh, so. the TV. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would love to know who picks these and what the motivation is for what goes in these very, very brief, like, you know, fifteen frame shots here. I wish this show would would you know, PLO for a long time though, it straddled the bullshit relationships angle with like the mystery thriller angle and the theorizing and stuff. I wish they would kind of tilt it back towards the theories because I remember like alias would do the stupid thing where like whenever you had the uh the chiron telling you like what town we're in one letter would always be like highlighted hmm. and people would go fucking go, like, nuts yeah. of, like what does this mean it's a code we need to figure I it out. I briefly thought like oh what if like there's a fucking code to the opening credit shots and it's like you could somehow assign a letter mm-hmm. or a number to it and I was like no. Or even have it maybe be character specific if you don't have a shush. I just I think they should redo the whole credit sequence personally. Yeah, it's not it's not thrilling. It's just it's so meh. Yeah. 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 Agreed. All right. So after credits, we're looking at a tablet with BHU BHU news on it. Uh, we see the headline there is Nolan Hotchkiss's suspected killer is in stable condition. And they've got these photos of Nolan and, and Jeremy there. Uh the uh, photo of Nolan's the same one from the pilot that they've been using for everything. And Jeremy, you say it looks him look like either the uh, Duke of Northwest Chesterborough or his son or the guy from uni that his son plays polo with. Or gets Coke from. Yeah. Uh, and then we can even see like a little bit of this article. It's in a very large type. I don't know what's going on with your eyes there, Caitlin. Uh, it says, breaking Jeremy Beckett, suspected killer of Nolan Hotchkiss has been upgraded to stable condition. Beckett, Hotchkiss Industries staff member and citizen of the United Kingdom, uh, suffered from a bullet. That's all we get there. Not great copy. (laughs) Not great, Bob. Yeah. Uh, So Caitlin is at the mom's mansion here. She's on the phone and she's calling to say, I'm calling to check into the status of a patient. And the woman on the phone says the name, please. And she says, Jeremy Beckett. And the woman says, one moment. Click. And then we see uh, Senator Caitlin's mom kind of stride in in the background. And Caitlin sets the phone down to kind of brace for this encounter. And her mom's gearing up for it, too. And she says, do you need help packing? Her mom says. Uh, Caitlin just rolls her eyes like, unfucking believable And her mom says, we're getting picked up at five. Caitlin says, I'm not going to DC with you. And her mom says, it's not a punishment, Caitlin. It's a chance to take a breath and reset your life. Caitlin says, call it what you want. You're forcing me to do something that I don't want to do. Caitlin's mom says, it's because we love you and we're worried. She's just like, whatever, man. And her mom kneels down and try to reach her. And she's just like, I don't know what is going on with you. You're not yourself. You had a secret boyfriend who killed Nolan Hotchkiss for you. Caitlin's like, well, when you put it like that now, Caitlin's mom says, Caitlin, it's a lot to deal with. You can't want to stay here. Caitlin says, I do. Her mom says, because this is where your friends are, the daughter of one of the FBI's most wanted and a student who committed academic fraud, would he be... The FBI's most wanted? No, hardly. That's like for murderers and like like serial killers, right? He'd have to have like if if the level to which he would have had to have ripped off people's money 
would have to be to such an extent that this would be the show like, yeah. to be on FBI's top 10 or whatever. All right. Um, <laughs> She's like, it's a bullshit Comey thing from his administration. Deep state, whatever. Yeah. Caitlin says, actually, Ava's a rising star in the fashion industry and <laughs> Dylan's a music prodigy. Uh, her mom stands and steps away, turns away to discuss about all this. She says, I've arranged for you to be Cinder Hastings summer intern. Of course. You'll start at Georgetown after the holidays. You'll see a therapist twice a week. So when she says the holiday, she means like Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Yes, because it's clearly the fall. I mean, I mean, we talk about summer all we we've, want. We've had a fucking October calendar pop up somewhere yeah. in one of these episodes. So, and it's been like four days since then. So I don't know. Like they're talking a lot about the summer in this episode. It's, it's like they it want it to feel like it's like the end of the school year, but at the same time, it's like no, it's clearly late October. Just the. Let's just lay around and plan our summer, which is yeah. kind of what like Paige did for a while with Emily when like their relationship was bad. But then it was like still another three seasons before they got out of that November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, Caitlin says a therapist. She's almost and she's almost laughing at it. Uh, and Caitlin's mom says, you have to admit that you're lost. Caitlin, Caitlin says, you can't force me to leave DHU. And her mom says, fine, then you're right. But if you stay, you'll be completely on your own. You won't be living here and you won't be paying for school. And Caitlin just stares up at her processing that her mom is, you know, tired of her petty shit. Um, I mean, Caitlin, now is the perfect time. You have the ammunition. Throw your mom's affair in her face. Be like, oh, you're going to cut me off? Well, guess what? Guess who's talking to the press? Counterpoint. Oh, you don't want to cut me off anymore. That's right. Also, I'd like a new car. Again, Caitlin, though, I, she came off even more privileged to me, like in this episode than before. But, like, counterpoint, an issue that was brought up by somebody later who might be too broken to fix. Why do you want to stay here? Yeah. <laughs> like, you finally have friends, but it's these two losers? I don't think so. So, again, establishing a shot of the Cochrane Student Union. Inside, we're with Ava as she's chilling with Zach as he's like busting tables or whatever. Uh, um, his contraction, I've got to say, hashtag Zava. Uh, Ava says, when I talked, when I walked away from the Vogue editor yesterday, to talked to you. She didn't think I was being rude. Julie Katchen was impressed. She said that giving up my chance to talk to her, to help a friend was actually, was actually what made me Vogue material, which sounds like bullshit, like big, big bullshit. But Zach likes it. He's smiling big, whatever. He's 17. And he's like, well, congrats. And, uh, is that what we are friends? It's time to DTR baby. Uh, so he moves another table with his, like, I don't know what you called that bus boy bucket. That square tray, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. She follows enjoying this moment. He's also working. Uh, and she's like, I don't know, Fortson. You tell me. And he's like, Well, maybe we can figure it out this summer in New York. Whoa. Shouldn't it be next summer? I guess. If it was October, wouldn't you say next summer? I well, maybe in October, if you say this summer, that might refer to the one that's just passed. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But either way, this is, you know, start of a relationship. You're talking about mythological vacations to come. That's a long time away. Oh, a lot can happen. But it's it's college. I mean, come on. It's the stuff that happens at the beginning of a lot can happen is what he's after. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But anyway, so like, yeah, dropping this in the middle of flirting, but that's still five to seven months away. But she gets a surprise. She like, no way. And he nods. And she's like, you're holding out on me. You got the exhibit. And he's got a big grin. Yeah. And she's like, Zach, that's huge. And she gives him a big hug. And he's like, yeah, it's huge. And I wanted to thank you for pushing me to talk to Lee. She thinks that I have a lot of potential. 
And Sophia as Carson does this like fascinating sea change from like looking like crazy happy and infatuated to maybe like pleased with the way he's complimenting her to like desolate sadness. She looks away and Zach picks up on it and he's just like, whoa, what just happened? We're happy, right? And she says, just whenever things are starting to go the way they're supposed to go, I get nervous. Usually that means that something bad's about to happen. Because she seems like a keeper, Zach. Mm-hmm. Pursue this one. Uh, he's like, nothing bad is going to happen. This is all good for both of us. Um, and he, like I said, you can trust him when he says this because he is 17. So he knows everything. He's been around. Does he even need to go to college anymore if he's got an art show with some hoity-toity New York art person? Does she? What, need to go to college? I mean, with, again, the YouTube channel. Yeah. It's just like this cute little hobby I mean, she did, but like that could be a fucking I, Olivia Jade's not going to be at college soon anymore, so. They could strike out on their own. I mean, th- tell me they're not going to get a fucking reality show out of this. Even Olivia Jade, like, move to New York and have hijinks. Sure. People will watch that. Um, So Ava's gone completely back to, like, crazy happy. And she's like, so if I am going to New York this summer, I'm going to need a job to pay for it or two or three like you. So can you put in a good word for me? Um, and I like freeze framed here for a second. He had this hilarious frowny face as she says this. And he's like, oh, I thought you had money. I'm only into older chicks with money. Sorry. No, uh, she's like, not anymore, but that's okay. I will work to pay my way. And he nods, but he's like, ah, that's not okay with me. Um, but he's like, I don't need to wait to the summer to figure out what we are. I know what I want. And she's like smitten AF. And she's like, yeah. And then some dude off screen's like, you working or not, Fordson? So, like, dude, trying to get laid over here, man. Come on. I thought we had a code, bro, and I have the rag hanging out of this pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm assuming people have codes like that, like hobo codes, but for busboys. Um, so Zach gets this dude like a cold look and then smiles at Ava like, work. And he's like, catch you later. And he like takes his busboy bucket tray thing and heads off. And Ava smiles, pretty pleased, watches him go. Um it's nice when you can go like, visit your significant other at work and just admire them being good at their job, but I don't know. I mean, so Ava's mood swings. I feel like that's just another brick in the wall of suspiciousness that she's building. She's very rapid, you know, like manic, mm-hmm. depressive moments that she has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll we'll see more of that as the I hope she show goes along. Professes more of those. Yeah. So we get an exterior shot of Gilbert Hall. And then we're uh, we can hear Andrew speaking as we're he's taking us into the scene because we're going to Dylan's storm apartment. It's our favorite location for Dylan and Andrew. <laughs> I really wonder, did they actually film each of these scenes with the rest of the episodes, or was it like, all right, we like we scheduled Eli Brown for like two days. We've got the guy who plays Andrew, and it's like we're just gonna bang these all out. We've got the set to ourselves, and we're just gonna do all these scenes one after the other. I can't even guess because i don't know the nature of why they recast from the other dude i think the other dude is in the pilot and then they recast after that i don't know but i mean like you're positing that they filmed more episode scenes with the other it, dude i had no idea i'm just wondering why are there so few scenes of andrew outside of the dorm apartment because i you because yeah i mean i almost would like to think that andrew doesn't exist yeah can we that's a crux we keep thinking somebody doesn't exist but like I know a lot of people have come at us with, oh, we think they reshot Andrew's stuff later on because they recast. But it's like, how deep did they get into this thing with the other dude? I don't know. It just, if Andrew's going to be around more in season two, they've got to get out of this dorm apartment. 
because it, it these scenes just feel so repetitive after a while yeah i mean like they me, could have a lot of the same conversation just somewhere else you know? we'll talk about some of the season two stuff just some yeah. of it after but like presumably who we think the new showrunner will be i would like to see this become a real relationship if it's gonna last like uh, i don't know i think they're already setting it up to, <laughs> to put him on the rocks but well i mean have it be like realistic though like yeah all right so andrew says now that they've caught nolan's killer thanks to you and your friends and you've been given a rare second chance by the ethics committee, thanks to Claire. I say we put all this st- that stuff behind us and start planning our summer in Seattle, which is not for like eight months. Also, it's like, is everyone caught up? Like, Have I caught everyone up? Can't you just take like, I don't know, Thanksgiving in Seattle? Yeah. You can just drive there, you know? It's like a three-hour drive. Yeah, why don't we plan like a sexy Thanksgiving weekend? Yeah. yeah. Or like a harvest festival, you know, just get up there late october oh you can have a harvest festival at home yeah yeah we'll just have it here in our dorm apartment and <laughs> dylan why do you want to leave dylan don't you want to stay here always <laughs> because of that curse that's been placed upon me i can't <laughs> leave this room uh so we we finally actually cut to them after hearing all that uh they're presumably naked in bed under the covers having a pre or post-coital conversation maybe both mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. dylan is just over the moon about all the new shit in the turn of events here Andrew doesn't seem bothered at all by all the renewed lies and secrets from his boyfriend, but whatever. Like, how did Dylan explain, like, oh, so we kind of thought this one guy did it, so me and all our friends posseed up to go there and confront him. Sorry I left you out of that. <laughs> for for anywhere from, like, six days to six weeks. Uh-huh. While I was also cheating on uh, a test and, and other things. Yeah, t- and you. Dylan says, I still can't believe it. Mr. Hale actually used the B word. He said that my, I mean, our song was brilliant. And Andrew's kind of rub, running his fingers over the, the five hairs on Dylan's chest there and says, he said, there's no way you're not getting that internship. And this is where I was like, wait, what internship? Is he talking? To, I thought Dylan, chair. Dylan was going for the first chair in the orchestra. Yeah. The Seattle Symphony. That's not an internship. No, that's, that's a job. It's a jobby job. Yeah. Is Mr. Hale in charge of that? I guess. Because he was a he was a conductor or something, right? Yeah, I'm downgrading into an internship. <laughs> no, Andrew, you're the one with the internship, yeah, or trying to on Bainbridge Island with that architect. Uh, Who's doing this timeline? <laughs> Dylan says, "Thank you for taking a chance on me and for loving me. I really am the luckiest luckiest guy at all, BG. Yeah, thank you for just completely overlooking my constant screw ups and lack of communication." Uh, so they caress each other's faces and start kissing. Andrew moves on top. We pan up to the phases of the moon wallpaper overhead as they fuck. Talk about phases of the moon with this couple. <laughs> so Mona's place. We start on a counter holding like a teddy bear and some like fucked up looking dolls and mugs and shit. A lot of bubble wrap to pack this stuff away. Um, I, I like the dolls. The the fact that she packed them and brought them to yeah, yeah. BHU with her. Oh, and they look like they've been not so gently used. Uh-huh. Um, I would like to whatever these... Mona does with her dolls. What I really want is wherever Mona lives, she also has to like rent a warehouse. That's like her back cave, like her giant her lair. penny yeah. and her animatronic T-Rex and just, because she's got some fucking trophies um, or she did until they, those reasons escaped her. So there in the kitchen, Mona's like carefully wrapping an item in the bubble wrap as Allison like walks back in with another box um, shockingly, Allison will not be making coffee in this scene, but she says those coffee mugs are there right on the table, though. So don't worry. Yeah, well, she'll be having coffee, but she mm-hmm. won't be making it this time. 
but she will be packing a box. Allison says, it's not fair that Claire gives everybody a second chance, but you have to leave. Well, no. It's exactly right. I hate, I mean, I love Mona. It's exactly Given right. Given the, the context here, yeah. Yeah. But Mona's like, Claire made it clear that there's something she can't forgive, like where I sling my puss. Sleeping with a student is just one of them. And Allison's like, you know, I want to go off on a tangent about how fucked it up that we know a guy named Ezra Fitz, one of our best friends, like married to him, raising kids with him, but uh, I'm exhausted. And Mona's like, there was no talking her out of this. What sucks is that I love this job inexplicably. What's even worse is that I'll never find out what that list was. And Allison's like, what list? Remind me of this still hanging thread of plot points again, please. Um, Mona's wearing like a red sweater here. If like a, like the fucking Koh-i-Noor diamond is a brooch or something wrestling on a yeah. black bow. Eight colors. Yeah. Shine on you, crazy diamond. Um, Mona says, when I got locked out of the system, remember you, Ray Hagedorn, Caitlin, someone using my emissions code to generate a list of some sort. And Allison's like, I'm sorry, Mona. I must have been bullets on pills at the time. Some puzzles are just not meant to be solved. Mona's like flipping out a little bit. She's like, do you know what that sounds like to me? It's like telling a kid they can never have candy again. Um, like Jeanette Parrish can get like so, I don't know, like her voice can rise like almost like a camp level. At she times. has a really funny line reading later in the episode. Yeah. Allison's like, maybe getting out of here isn't such a bad thing. Let's face it. This town breeds drama. Think about Taylor because I love her and everything she's been through. At this point, the only person who loves, you know, who thinks about Taylor more than Marco Sparks is Allison De Laurentiis. But Mona says, well, she's having a nice rest at Riverwell. I didn't mean for the beginning and end of that sentence to rhyme, but uh, I checked it out online. It's like a touchy-feely place to regroup. And she, like, makes a face when she says that. And Allison, like, joins her, but comes, but come the fuck on. They both be into it. In fact, uh, Allison says, doesn't sound so bad to me. I came here for what I thought was the right reasons. Isn't that what they always say on the reality television? As opposed to, I'm not here to make friends? Yeah, I don't know. I I came for what I thought was the right reasons, but sure has been a bumpy road. I was like giving her a look like she's going to analyze Allison, but she's also going to get some more coffee. And she's like, so you think you're on the wrong path? And Allison says, it never fails. Ever since high school, when you were stalking me with death threats, and I had to fake my own death, become a pilot, run off a gang of grifters, and then come back to school and start a cult, and then get framed for your murder, and then go to jail, etc. I feel like I've been heading towards a dead end or driving a whirly car off a cliff. Whirly car? Is that right? Yeah, that's what she said. I don't know what it means. Yeah. Uh, and then she, like, adorably, like, sticks out her coffee mug, like, please, more coffee. And uh, these two were just, like, in the Nancy Myers movies or playing best friend in a romantic comedy where, like, like whatever, instead of being veterans of the fucking war, like they are. And when it comes over, refills that coffee cup. I and they both wonder, sigh. like when they're doing these episodes, like when they're on set, when they're in the editing room, does it ever kind of cross their minds? Like, man, you know, these scenes with these two work really well. Mm-hmm. These other scenes are, eh, you know, yeah. like this is, this is a good vibe we have here. Maybe the show should be more of this. I think one of the three perfectionists, is head and shoulders working better than the other two, even though elements of her storyline are stupid. <laughs> Incredibly stupid, yeah. Uh, so like I said, Mona comes over and refills that coffee cup. She goes back and leans against the counter on the offside of the kitchen watching Allison. They do they do work great together. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's interesting about this, that for me personally, what gels and makes this work is that they have the seven years <laughs> of just fucking wacko shit that they've been through. And now they're just having a like a, a crossroads conversation in the kitchen. They don't have to constantly react to the craziness. Yeah. You know, they're they're kind of already in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's nice when you don't have to speak about these things to somebody. But yeah, Mona's like, when I booked my ticket to Philly, the aisle seat next to me was still available. Um, and her voice gets so much higher than that sounds. She's like, if you're serious about not staying. And Allison's like, this was supposed to be my fresh start, my chance to prove that I could change. Every time I look in the mirror, all I see is a divorced woman who, until last night, was a murder suspect. And Mona's like, window or aisle? And Allison just like smirks at that, like, fuck yeah. Honestly, just rent a car, drive back home across country, some fuck some shit up along the way, kill a drifter. It, it's just weird at the end of the scene where you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, maybe Allie and Mona should just go back to Rosewood and then we can watch that show instead. You know? Not even Rosewood. Just the two of them in a new town? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is a feeling that like, you know, we could just cut bait. You know, we could just leave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so then we hear some funky music playing and a bell rings because it's time for class. We get a drone establishing shot of the campus there. Then we're kind of out in the quad or somewhere near it. Uh, there's like a line for a food truck, and Ava, Dylan, and Caitlin are all waiting in that line. It's Luke's food truck, in fact. Uh, he's apparently has been booted out of the student union. Uh, was that just a dead week thing? Is it still dead week? Seems like it could be. Ava's- Here at BHU, where perfection isn't just mandatory, Dead week is a month and a half yeah. long. Ava is glancing around at some students who are sitting at an outdoor table watching her. This is like for one scene, we're going to do the whole, ooh, people are staring at us thing. Maybe because Ava is staring at them like crazy. Yeah. Uh, and Ava says, it's not just me, right? And Caitlin's face, is, and she's thinking like, what the fuck now? And Ava says, people are staring at us. And Dylan's just like, yeah, well, I guess we're the talk of the school. And Ava says, Nolan's perfect posse catches his killer. No, no one called you that. No one. I'm afraid I have dibs on the term posse. Get the (laughs) fuck out. Posse comatose, bitches. Ava says, it's a headline grabber. And Caitlin says, well, it didn't help with me and my mom. If I don't go to D.C. with her, she's cutting me off. There's no way I can go home. When she says home, which home does she mean, I guess? Well, the mom says you won't be living here. There's no way that I can go home. What do you mean by that, Caitlin? Mm-hmm. There's no way I can go home to Philly or to D.C. or uh, I think she means literally her mansion. Okay. Uh, Dylan says, you can stay with us if sleeping on the couch is okay. And Caitlin says, are you sure that Andrew won't mind? I think Andrew might mind, but what, Dylan what, doesn't give a fuck. What has he ever <laughs> shown that he gives a fuck about what Andrew minds? Also... That's not a door to their bedroom. There are holes in that wall. It's like a studio, yeah. And these dudes fuck. A lot. Yeah. Dylan's just like, Andrew won't mind because I'll tell him he won't mind. It's like she's just sitting Dude there just wrapped around my and... finger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dylan just kind of shrugs. and He's like, eh, he'll be okay with it. You guys are my best friends. Probably my only friends. And Caitlin smiles and kind of politely taps his shoulder. And Ava says, I haven't had a best friend since Betsy Burnham. And Dylan says, the little mermaid who tried to light your hair on fire? Callback. He was like, mm-hmm, over a Kit Kat bar. And he laughs. And I, uh, you don't know if Caitlin would have picked up on this callback to episode three or whatever. Remember how uh, she likes candy? Like, it had to be Dylan making the callback. I don't know that Caitlin's, like, they. I feel like they've only established, like, there's a real Caitlin-Ava connection, like, in the last two episodes. Yeah. Well, when did Ava and Dylan have a chance to talk about Betsy Burnham? Well, it was it was actually it was the three of them at, at the tracks. So was it either episode two or they three? They actually have a conversation about Betsy Burnham. Betsy Burnham, who like tried to like light her hair on fire. Or Do you not like recall that? that? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm the Dylan of this group, and you're the mm-hmm. Caitlin. Mm-hmm. I don't know who has it worse there. 
so Caitlin gets a text and checks it and she sighs and says, it's about Jeremy. I'll put an alert on, I put an alert on my phone. His condition has been upgraded, but he's still refusing to talk to anyone, not even a lawyer. And Ava says, even if he does decide to talk, no one will believe him. Uh, no comment from anyone, but Ava's not done. She says, he killed Nolan. That's all that matters. And Caitlin uh, makes a face like this has caused her IBS to flare up. And she says, is it terrible that I still care about him? What he did to Nolan was horrific, but he did it for me. Some would call that a turn on. I can't just turn off my emotions like a switch and not care about him. And they move up another place in line. And he says, nothing in the world is ever black and white. And Dylan says, or just good or bad. And then the girl in line ahead of them gets her to go order and leaves. And Ava says, things just aren't that easy for us. We want it all. And we're willing to work for it, but it comes as a price. She's just like, like a jukebox full of these like, like lame, like fortune cookie aphorisms here. Seriously, she's doing half the marketing for this fucking mm. college. Um, and then uh, Luke off camera says next. And we see Luke is waiting at the window for them. And the purse look at him. Uh, Dylan looks, appears to recognize him like in a bad way. And Luke kind of realizes that it's Dylan. They, there's this dreadful realization passing over his face. They recognize each other. Dylan looks like he's about to have a panic attack and starts fracking away, breathing hard. And he's like, I have to get out of here. And he runs off. And we hear Luke say, like, hey, wait. But Dylan's gone, and Ava and Caitlin go after him. And Caitlin's like, Dylan. They're by Roney Hall. Uh, they chase after him and catch him on the grass. And Caitlin's like, what's wrong? And Ava says, Dylan, breathe. Dylan looks seriously spooked. He says, I went to high school with that guy. And he's taking big rests. And he's, Dylan says, he bullied me for being gay. He's the reason that I left and never looked back like a year ago. And now he's here. Fuck my life. And uh, Ava and Caitlin make kind of surprised, worried faces. And Dylan's just panicking there. I think... I mean, you knew where this was going immediately with this guy, right? No, because his setup was like, is this going to be like the love triangle between like Caitlin and Jeremy? I, as soon as this happened in the oh, episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's Paige. I, I don't know, Paige. I don't know if that's exactly accurate. So loud. What? Whatever you Oh, my said. email. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a Paige thing necessarily, but it's definitely like the, oh, he bullied you because he was in the closet type thing. It's a little bit of what Paige did. So but Paige was, didn't bully Emily, though. Wouldn't that be the most charitable way to say that she dunked her head underwater? And that wasn't... Uh, I mean, that was like a one-time thing, I guess. I don't know. It's a one-time attempted murder. She tried to kill her once. And people I tried never to kill you twice. But, That's enemy action. I guess when Paige was introduced is more what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't introduced as Paige's bully or as Emily's bully. It just kind of like went there later. But I, I, I get it. This thing's manifest in, in crazy ways. Um, so Ava's dorm apartment. It's a typical afternoon as Ava comes back, takes off her coat, tosses it somewhere, then stares into her full-length mirror there by the door. Only this time, suddenly her dad's reflection shows up in the mirror behind her. It's like the mirror of Ava said, but it's shitty. Uh, and Ava's like, oh. She spins around. Sure enough, that's her fucking dad for realsies right there. And she's like, dad. And he's like, got this kind of like dopey face. Like, yup, it's me, little baby dreamer girl. You I just, I'm not feeling this guy. I know he was like on some kids show he's been on 20 years ago. So like people like him because of that. But like, to me, it just doesn't sound. He's been a lot of shows. Yeah. Are you gonna, just going to freak out every time it's I get an email? It's not that headphones. loud. It's in my headphones. It is. So after commercial, picking up where we just left off, Ava's dad's like, Ava. And she's so relieved and happy. And she's like, dad. And she like runs in his arms. And they embrace. And like, um, 
under the jacket she's wearing there, Ava's like sweater is like black, like the unending void of space with sparkles on it, like stars whose light probably died out long, long ago and only just now we're seeing the evidence of the existence reaching your human eyeballs. And his, her dad says, how have you been? You okay? And she smiles so big and is so overcome with emotion. And like she sees as like stubble, like I guess you'd call it stubble charitably. A little like, bit of a like three day growth. Yeah. No, he's, he's got like a little more like goatee situation happening. I, I guess. But she's like, mom, finally let you grow out a beard. And she like rubs his cheek. And that's like hardly a beard though, man. And, and he's just like, I had to change my look to come and see you. No, no, everyone can see who you are. He's also wearing like a big black coat, which will be called a parka later on. And she seems like very touched by this uh, sacrifice. And he's like, your mom and I want to come home. <laughs> Turns out being fugitive sucks. And she's like, dad, there's nothing that I would like want more, but you shouldn't be here. They do that thing on TV shows where Ava like walks away with like the emotion and she like turns back to her dad and he has to turn to face her. So they basically just like switch places. And Ava's just like, Dana Booker is her head of security. I think she says our head of security. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was our or, or it sounded like her to me. Because I think it's actually look at the transcript by the time I had to do these. And so I assumed that there was like maybe like a Claire liner. No, I'm pretty sure she says R. I okay. listened to it. Uh, so Ava's dad says, Ava, what I did was wrong. And I have a plan to make things right. I still have most of the money. And if I return it, they'll limit my jail time. Um, and Ava's face is like, could this be true? Wow, I really am quite the dreamer. And her dad says, I'll have to start from scratch. But it'll be with a clean slate. And she's like, are you here because you need my help? Her dad says, a courier will drop a package off in your campus mailbox this afternoon. It'll be sealed for big for legal reasons. It's what I need to start paying back the money. You'll get a text when the papers arrive. And she says, Dad, the money you left me, we can't pay that back. Booker found it. She hasn't turned it in yet, but I think she's keeping it for herself. And he says, let's not get sucked into Booker's game, okay? It's just a distraction. It's what she wants. She's shitty. And he was like, okay. I'll do whatever I can to help. I just got a bunch of bullshit off my plate anyway. And I seemingly don't give a shit about my channel anymore. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And they hug. He kisses her head. Ava's dad says into her hair, like, my beautiful dreamer. I could I could do with a little less of that. Of the dreaming? The, the dreamer stuff constantly. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like, we get it. That's your nickname for her. Weird daddy-daughter stuff. Yeah. And this guy's, he's not a daddy in a good way. Um. She pulls back and looks up at him and like her her ADR of like, dad, be careful. And he smirks like a fucking asshole and heads like to the door. And that same movement, like following him, the camera glides back to that mirror and A was like left watching herself in it. Um, yeah, no one wants to get choked by this daddy. No. No one wants this guy spitting in their mouth. Uh, I, I thought this brief scene was lit and shot like gorgeously despite my having a hard time with it because Ava's dad seems oh, so oh. conspicuously sleazy. What do you think about the way that it's shot? The, or I guess the way he enters and exits with the mirrors. It's, it's dreamlike. Yeah. It's it very like much. He's not real. Yeah, yeah. It's very much Ava just imagined this while looking in the mirror. And, and and it's and it's added on to in an interesting way when someone talks about just a guy in a parka showing up in the dorm mm-hmm. later. You know, it could be anyone. It could be anything. So you kind of thought like, ooh, yeah, we're really getting to an Ava thing. Like immediately, like when he first like popped out in her mirror, like reflection there, I was just like, ooh, okay. No. But then there's like a later shot where it would seem to pour cold water on that. So I don't know. Like Norbeck says, when he uses a mirror, it's not by accident. Mm-hmm. So we get a slightly different establishing shot of Gilbert Hall. And then we're in Dylan's dorm apartment uh, living room this time. Andrew's on the couch. Of course he is. He's listening attentively as Dylan and his trauma have taken stage. And Dylan's just like, just when I th- think I'm getting my life together, 
he's here and it's like I'm 14 all over again, afraid to show my face at school because that guy is going to uh, make my life a living hell. And Andrew says, don't be so hard on yourself. Dylan says, I don't know any other way to be. And Andrew says, being gay in high school was traumatic. And he kind of stands to take the stage from Dylan as uh, Dylan nervously paces. And Andrew says, even for me, growing up in L.A., considering everything's happened. Andrew from being L.A. really explains a lot about him, I feel like. <laughs> uh, Dylan says, I'm not doing this again, all right? I refuse. I need to confront him, and I need Luke to know that I'm not going to take his crap anymore. Uh, you said you wonder why this line isn't, I'm not going to take his shit anymore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, was this like too much for S&P? Like- he says it once an episode, usually, so. Yeah. And it's usually him. Mm-hmm. And Andrew comes over and takes Dylan's hand and holds it, calm down a little. Uh, he said, is it just me or maybe it's his new haircut, but Andrew seems shorter. I, yeah, I don't, maybe it's the way they're framing or something. He does seem fairly short. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Andrew says, would it help if I came with you? And Dylan's like, honestly, it would. And Andrew's like, then I'll be there. And kind of nod. Uh, so you wrote in this next scene, Ava's dorm apartment. I protest this nomenclature. I, I feel like dorm apartment is just for Andrew and Dylan. It makes sense, but I honestly feel like Ava's got two dorms without like a connecting like there's probably like they're like connected she just dorms. knocked a wall out yeah. yeah she just like knocked a wall but out. i just feel like dorm apartment that's that's dylan's thing let him have that that's where he keeps andrew <laughs> if dylan was here he would say it's complicated <laughs> and uh yeah it's a knock at the door Ava opens it yay it's dana booker uh and Ava's just like fuck and booker's like fuck you too now uh booker says what if they talk like that yeah fuck you no fuck you too they should Booker says, may That's I come in? And kind of uh, not wanting to, but under dress, Ava steps aside. Booker comes in and just like immediately starts blatantly looking around like she's casing the joint. You never let her in, Ava. Yeah. And Ava says, what do you want? And Booker says, earlier today, an unidentified man showed up on Beacon Guard. He entered your building. 6'1", 160 pounds. That's pretty skinny. Uh, black parka. Sound familiar? And as she's doing this, she's saying it in like early perfectionist style. So like facing the camera, like away from Ava, who's listening in the background. Then she turns back to Ava and Ava says, no, should it? And Booker just has this look like, come the fuck on. And she's like, I'm not going to ask you if your dad was here. I don't want to make you lie to me. And Ava's like, good. Booker says, I embarrassed Claire Hotchkiss. It's only a matter of time before she fires me. In fact, I'm not sure why I haven't fired already. Uh, I went back in the FBI and you're broke. There's a way we can fix both our problems. Turn in your dad and I'll give you your money back. Simple as that. Uh, but he was going to have fun with this and pretend she doesn't know what Booker's talking about. She could just take the money back, right? You just like fight, figure out where Booker lives. Go take the money. Kind of like they, they break into a house and, and do some shit in the book. Yeah, I mean, she could. Like, what are you going to do, Booker? And I bet, I bet Ava somebody could... stole the money that was evidence that I didn't turn in. Yeah, and I bet Ava could accessorize a really interesting like breaking and entering outfit. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Ava says, I don't know what money you're talking about. And Booker says, fine, be that way. It's some of the money your dad stole. You've been using it to pay your tuition, which is a felony. And Booker starts walking through the place, uh, kind of along the desk. And Ava starts matching uh, her steps. And Ava says, well, if you could prove that, I doubt you'd be here. Booker says, why is he here? Why take the risk? And Ava says, can't help you. And then her phone goes off the text. And both she and Booker reach for it. It's like a gun between them or something. But Booker gets there first and reads the text. That's so fucking rude. Mm-hmm. Uh, Booker says, Zach wanted you to know that the Crimson Cafe is hiring. She hands the phone back to Ava. And Booker says, 
Did you know that the FBI believe that your father is only in possession of half the money that he stole? What's in your little bag is just a drop in the bucket. And Ava kind of smiles like this is either a sick joke or she refuses to believe. Uh, and her enemy is pathetic for even trying this strategy because it's truly stupid. And Ava says, whatever you say, Dana. And Booker says, I think he's back to get the rest of what he stole. You're a smart goal, Ava. Uh, I'm giving you the dots. Connect them. Ava stirs off. Maybe she will. And Booker says, or I'm trying, or, or I'm turning that bag of money over to the authorities. And they'll have a lot of questions for you. And with that, Booker walks out. Once she's gone, Ava starts at the door, really crumbling under the consequences of what was just said. Yeah. Uh, Mona's place. Allison's got a gun, a tape gun. Um, she, we pan over to see her and Mona, like, like, like taking up, or Mona's in the foreground. We see, like, uh, we move around Mona, seeing she's reflecting the mirror. She's working on the packing. There's You're just really going nuts with the blocking descriptions in the scenes. You notice that? Uh-huh. Well, it's interesting blocking. There's a mirror, which is always intriguing in PLL. And, and there's a great shot of Mona that involves knowing there's a camera and a mirror. Whatever. So knock on the door. Mona's like, oh, that's probably the boxes I ordered. I hadn't even started packing up my games, which oh, I need to know more <laughs> about her games. <laughs> um, we spin around. Mona's face in the foreground. And we see in the background that Allison opens the door and lets a man inside. Mona seems to think nothing of whoever it could be until she hears Allison's voice. She says, oh, hi, Mason. Mona's head shoots up, eyes alert, worried, facing us with the others in the background. Oh, it's just like, hey, hey, Mona, your fuck boy's here. Yeah. You want to talk to him? Yeah. Uh, I want Mona to be like, that's what the taser on the shelf there is for. Tase him. Tase his balls. Uh, we turn around to see, like, she turns around to see him, and he sees her. And, like, normally I feel like Allison would make, up, make some popcorn, pull up a chair, enjoy the show. But not this time. She picks up her coat, and she's like, I was just uh, leaving. And Mona's just like, no, you weren't. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, and Allison half smiles at Mona as she like closes the door behind herself on the way out. And Mason's like, so I take it that she uh, she knows about us? It's like, no fucking shit, man. But Mona turns away from him like a little skittish. She's like, we're not on us and you have to go. She goes back to packing boxes and he's like, not until you tell me what's going on. We see her in the mirror. She's like packs and we see his reflection as he watches her. And she's like, I'm leaving. I got fired. He's like, why? What happened? Takes a brief, deep breath. Like this is like a this is a big one in cork. And she's just like, Claire found out about us. And he steps in, like not having this. He gets her to turn and face him. And he's like, Stop packing. You're not going anywhere. And she's like, Huh? Um, in general, though, she told you no. She asked you to leave. I think he's gotta have the last word. Yeah. What Mona doesn't understand is that he has feelings. Allison's house. Uh, she walks in and hangs her coat on a hook. And for the first time, you, you notice how many paintings there all are in Allie's house. Yeah. Uh, she notices something new and strange on like a table. There's a red envelope with Allison written on it in fancy script. Uh, she goes over and picks it up, holding it kind of haphazardly, looks around. This is only like the third or fourth time something strange has transpired in this house while she was gone uh, since she came to town. She runs her fingers over the writing and then flips over the envelope. It's sealed in wax. And she opens it inside an invitation, red writing on a white background. It's for the Crimson Society. Invites you to join us in, in Watchgrove Hall on the old campus tonight, 3 a.m. Tell a soul and you're out. Is it? Am I old? Because I was like, you better get a nap. <laughs> yeah, you're old. Uh, so Allie kind of looks around like, huh. And it's basically doing some, uh, what you describe as a Monica Vitti face. Uh, where it's not like she's looking at anything important. It's just absorbing the emotions such as they are from a close-up. What's important is that we're looking at her. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, because like if, like you and I are talking, and I'm just like, which is I know it's an audio medium, so no one else mm-hmm. can see that, but whatever. Cut. The, the uh, VIP level of our Patreon <laughs> get to be here for this. If I cut to the student union, we see the smiling face of Caitlin turn on its side on a student ID card being slid through a square attached to one of those little iPad cash registers. Uh, yeah, Caitlin's trying to pay for something. Ava's there. They're getting coffee. But then on screen, transaction decline. And Caitlin's like, oh, my God, my mom's already cut me off. I don't know if you're paying with your... You're like student, student ID. ID. Could you cut someone off from that? Like you already paid your tuition. I don't know. Well, presumably you you put funds into that like basic student ID account. Like the mom seriously get... call a college and be like, take all the funds out of her meal card or something. Can I get a refund on the money that I just put in my daughter's meal plan? Yeah. Uh, so Ava's like, I got this, and she seems very happy as she opens up her purse lap, and we see in her purse is that a similar red envelope to the one Allie just opened. Uh, and Ava pulls out her student ID card and, and Caitlin says, yeah, I saw that. And Ava pays for the coffees and they walk away. Caitlin's like, you got one of those too, huh? And Ava's like, mm-hmm. Caitlin says the Crimson Society, the envelope. So we know three of them have gotten it so far. Uh, they keep walking, glancing around like they're trying to have this conversation discreetly. And Ava's like, what does it mean? And they get to a booth and take a seat and Caitlin says, well, rumor has it that back in the day there was a secret society at BHU. Caitlin is a big old dork. And it was like, like skull and bones. Caitlin says, exactly. The older generation of alums would select the best and brightest students. I'm not sure why they selected us. Uh, it's an open door to power and influence. They can make your dreams come true. That means that the alums have to be really dialed into the current student body. Yeah. Like, like these fucking like Andy Bernards or whatever, just like coming in like, who's, who's hot now at the school? Yeah. They was just sipping her coffee maniacally as she drinks in this possibility. And she's like, Ike, if you had an internship at Vogue but had no way of paying for it. And Caitlin says, exactly. Or if you needed financial help to stay at PSU, you'd have their support. I'm so sure they're like, yes, yeah, Senator's daughter, we're going to help you out. There's no one else more worthy. I like how Allison has to spell that out to her later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they do some victory sips of their coffees. But you saying this kind of reminds you of the kids, and I still know what you did last summer, won a radio trivia contest listing out the it's actually the wrong answer and then getting yeah, yeah. all-inclusive tickets to resort clearly a death trap uh a was like so that's your plan b that's really her plan b is i'm gonna hope a fucking secret society pays my tuition caitlin comes like she's just never entered the real world because she's had money yeah uh then she gets a text uh, uh this is from ava's getting the text it's from unknown and it says the package has been delivered and it's kind of like some freak out music on the soundtrack and it was just like Sorry, I have to run, but thank you for the coffee. And she's up and halfway out the door, and Caitlin's just like, but you paid Ava, but nope, Ava's in a hurry. She's not turning back. I just thought, overwhelmingly, this is way too fucking late for a secret society in the show. Eh, I mean, is it ever too late in college for a secret society episode? But also, like, we have seen some of the um, BHU like color schemes but like this episode we see there's a crimson cafe which used to be luke's like two episodes ago do we know who the uh, mascot is no but presumably it's something crimson something crimson which is like, just be crimson yeah. it's the crimson king but it's like it's it's i feel like this has not been set up this whole thing just it feels like that they went away for a summer and concocted a whole new mythology it it feels like oh what if the show's about this instead and it's just like all this kind of like pivoting you know which is i 
think it will be for the better. It's just I don't understand if they stick with this. Yeah, I mean I don't know. Maybe maybe the whole maybe the whole point of this show is an experiment where every episode we bring in a new set of writers, <laughs> and they've only seen the previous. Episode. By the way, uh, in that scene of the coffee uh, where they got the coffee, there behind Caitlin is this red wall mm-hmm. with like red and darker red writing of like welcome in a bunch of different languages. Like Wilkeman is like prominently on there. Dollhouse um, yeah, major dollhouse vibes from that. Yeah, that definitely uh, feels like a Marlene thing. She's got some fascinating sensibilities. Uh, so after commercial, we come around a corner into Allison's living room. She's in a chair talking to Caitlin, who's on the couch. This scene is hilarious. Allison's like, I "Do you want to? Be- do you want to do this scene?" Yeah. All right, I'll be Caitlin. Okay. I have to be honest, Caitlin. Of course, you should apply, but they give financial aid to people in need, and your family is not in the lower income bracket. If my current if my parents cut me off, I'll be in the zero income bracket. I kind of want my parents to cut off now. Uh, Allison's like, but you have the opportunity to go to Georgetown. That's a great school, but it's not BHU. After everything that's happened, why do you want to stay? That's a really great question. A year ago, I would have said that I wanted to stay for the same reason we all do. If you can succeed in this pressure cooker, you can succeed anywhere, and people know it. But that's changed. You said it was important when I met you, but now I know it's really true. <laughs> Allison's like, Kaylin, what the fuck are you talking about? I finally got friends who are like family. Oh. Hashtag friends who like family. So Allison ponders this, looks off like, like you have to be, assume that she's thinking like, oh shit, this chick, this chick took my advice when I was like swallowing every pill in this house. But she glances over at that like same old picture of Emily that we've always seen and the two babies. We always glance over at, but usually we don't ruminate on it when we're sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Allison's like, I've been known to be wrong. You're kind of a Debbie Downer as an advisor. A little small smile from Allison. She's like, I'm sorry. You've caught me in a reflective life moment. Oh. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't be advising anyone about anything right now. I'm done. I've done enough to screw you guys up already. What if Allison just threw some packing peanuts in this chick's face right now? Caitlin says, your actions are unconventional, but because of you, we're all still here. Yeah, I, I, as I was taking these notes, I just have to say I found Caitlin's optimism just to be great. She doesn't. The Caitlin character doesn't seem to know what show she's on. I feel like Caitlin is the girl you know that, regardless of the context or whether or not she's right, she always wants to tell you. Actually, it's pronounced this way. She just seems too. Bubbly is not the right word because she's not bubbly, but like a little bit. She never seems to really embrace the pathos, I guess. No, she's she's so very like genuine. I think there was an interesting dark edge to her in the pilot that's that's eroded away. Uh-huh, yeah. um, but I would just love to come up with a bullshit anecdote that involves going to Ibiza to her. They pronounce it Ibiza. Yeah, I bet she would say that. God, I love that scene. Um, so Allison's like. Oh, I'm adaptable. Uh, Allison says, you think I'm unconventional? Caitlin says, this calls for an autobiographical note. <clears throat> when I was a little girl, my moms used to take me to boxing matches. Uh, looking back on it, it's pretty weird. <laughs> but I remember this one guy, and they called him an unconventional fighter. And everything about the way he boxed was unorthodox. It wasn't pretty to watch, but he won because the other guy never knew what was coming. His name was Archie. You're like that fighter, Allison. You're uniquely you. And you can't really say that about most people. And Allison says, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> Somebody just failed their Agatha Christie class. She smiles very weakly. 
I don't know if we've ever compared Ali D to a pugilist before, but that seems like a fucked up analogy. Ali's just like, okay, I'm gonna be go uniquely be me and ask you to leave. <laughs> now is when she throws packing peanuts and, like broken bottles in her face. Oh geez. Um so Claire study, she's uh working away, shuffling through some papers when the silent maid ushers Mona in. Claire sees them, and I, I think for a second she's like has to put on a happy face because the maid's there. And she's like, Thank you, Marta. And Marta nods and leaves. And Claire says to Mona, Shouldn't you be back in Rosewood? And Mona's like, Rosewood? Fuck no. Why would any of us still want to live there? That's ridiculous headcanon bullshit. Uh, but Mona comes in, like really feeling herself. And she's like, mm, I'm not leaving. And Claire's like silently taken aback. It's like, Excuse me? And Mona's like, I'm keeping my job. Claire's like, That's not how this works. And Mona, for big fake smile, is like, I know why you fired me. Claire's like, because you slept with a student. Mona says, not just a student, Mason. So Claire's clearly affected by that, realizes it must be showing. So she starts like shuffling through some more of her papers, but it's too late. Mona's in the mainframe here. And she's like, jealous much? So Claire, keeping her poise, is like, sorry? Yeah, exactly. Mona's like, he told me about how you, and she puts this like an adorable mock, thinking hard face, searches for the right word, comfort each other in your moment of grief after Nolan's death. So were they fucking all night in the crypt? I mean, just what? I mean, were they just like on, like, 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 like Cersei and on Jamie, top of the Joffrey, just, yeah, just positions changing, juices everywhere. No, I'm still grieving. Do it again. Anyway, um, Claire takes us in. She stands reminding Mona of her outrageous height in comparison. <laughs> Seriously, Kelly Rutherford is like seven feet taller than Janelle Parrish. Um, Mona looks back, backs away a little bit, and Claire starts to get into her personal space. It's like great new energy. Like maybe Claire's about to say something devastating to Mona or slap her, even though you know she won't. And then she like goes back to her desk, picks up her phone, calls someone, probably that same beleaguered assistant who gets all these weird calls. And Claire on the phone's like, I've decided not to terminate Mona Vanderwall. She'll be staying on with us. And Mona's like equal parts please of herself, but also like, whew. Mona's like, that's right. Seconding a silent bitch. Yeah. She's like, thank you. And Claire immediately turns back into Mona's face and she's like, it goes without saying. And Mona's like, it won't happen again. The Claire praising the small woman is like ice cold. And she's like, you can see yourself out. So Mona turns and walks out and can't stop her like hee hee giddy face. Uh, Claire just watches her go. So basically my issue, my, my big issue is here is Mason's exes just had a kind of pissing contest over him. And we're led to believe that like part of the crying he was doing in that funeral was about how sad he was to lose his bro and that he was medicating with MILFs. Um, this new plot development has like weakened the power of Mona and Claire even more. Made me hate Mason more than I had prior. And honestly, I didn't think that was possible. So kudos to everyone. But also, I only saw two episodes of Famous in Love. I think this is literally a thing from Famous in Love. The one weird actor dude, like like Wolf Castle or whatever. Was yeah, like, I think there His be. buddy was like banging mm-hmm. his mom. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this is where I left off my notes when I said that it's crazy. There's no professor shit in this first half of the episode. Like this is a fruit salad. I need to be bananas. Yeah, I I really hate this for Mona. It's just Mason might be. I I think he is the worst character in the entire run of PLL and the Perfectionist. I mean, no, nothing against Noah KB Gray. Like he didn't write his dialogue or anything, but like. It's such a poorly conceived character who seems to exist to like disempower women and like has no consistency. Be praised for it. For, yeah, and be praised for it. Has no consistency from episode to episode. Like it's just like, what is going on? Like how 
how was this like on the page? Like, yes, this will work. It it's it's indicative of of a lot of the problems on the show. I don't know if you just like it was like, well, we just need this plot to happen, so we're just gonna like abuse this character and have him be somebody different in every episode to push the story along. I don't know, like hmm, poor Mona. It's like, yeah, we need we need our first roadblock minor villain. And also, I just really want Mona to get laid. And it's like, oh, let's just combine the two and let's make it as terrible as possible. So Ava's dorm. We're looking down the hall from her office area as she enters through the bedroom and drops her bag and purse. She's got a big manila envelope in hand. She walks down the hall to her office, wiping her nose. Perhaps she's been crying. Uh, camera dollies back to reveal someone is sitting at her desk. It's her dad. I guess this kind of blows my Michael Jalali isn't real theory. Is that his name, Michael? Yeah. Uh, Ava's dad says, hey, and she stares at him coldly. And then her dad says, there's my little girl. And she's like, don't call me that. And he looks confused at this hostility. And she says, I'm not your little girl. I've been on my own for over a year now. And dad says, what's wrong? What happened? I think well over a year, right? Like maybe two years? Well, it was last Christmas that she was having lonely haunted uh, uh, empty campus bang sessions with Mason. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So... Dad's like, what's wrong? What happened? Ava says, what happened is I found out that my dad is not only a thief, but a liar. I mean, I feel like those kind of go together. You know? Especially with his crime. Yeah. Oh, wow. That that thief isn't telling the truth to me. Oh, right in the heart. Uh, <laughs> he glances at the envelope in her hand, nervous. And Ava says, you were just using me to get the rest of your money you stole, weren't you? He says nothing and his expression's hardening. She slaps the envelope on the desk between them and says, you need the bank account numbers sealed for legal reasons. And he checks the envelope. It's empty. So at first I didn't follow the sealed mail business. I think because I was like trying to, I was assuming that he was like telling the truth at first. Mm-hmm. Like there is no, like he's the only reason he's saying it's sealed for legal reasons is he doesn't want her to open it. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, and so Ava says, you didn't raise me to be an idiot. And her dad's like, what did you do with the notebook? And she kind of gives a little shrug. And she's like, it's not here. And he's like, did you give it to Booker? And Ava says, why would I do that? And he nods, understanding that Ava has come to play. And he says, I see how this is working. You plan on keeping the money. He kind of walks around from behind the desk to pace behind her. And Ava seems irked by this very insinuation. And she says, you've taken plenty for you and mom to live a comfortable life on the run. And he says, Ava, we're not on the run, okay? We changed our names. We live in a small town. It's charming. I think you'd like it there. You ever see that episode of Granite State of Breaking Bad? It's like that. I have to pay people to be my friend. Ava says, my life is here now with my friends who become like my family. Drink. But unlike my family, they won't abandon me and leave me to clean up their mess. Well, they should. And and I can actually trust them. Can you, Ava? Uh, She's like, because I'm the killer. (laughs) Those fucking saps. I'll trust anyone. Uh, So he stares at her, stepping closer. And he's like, it's a lot of money, Ava. Too much for you to handle. She shakes her head. You'll get caught. And she's like, no. I won't, because I learned how to get away with other people's money from you. And he takes a step back, blinking in surprise, and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I turned you into me. And she's like, I am nothing like you. I'm better. He tries to kind of hug her, and she resists, like kind of holding her hands up for him to stop. And she's like, don't, don't. And he's like, I'm I'm sorry. And Ava says, that makes two of us. And her dad just nods like, well, this is a dead end. Just going to bounce without that $60 million after all. Toodaloo. And he leaves, and she looks away as uh, he goes, kind of like the tears really starting to come out once the door shuts. 
she slumps on her desk and kind of shivers a sob, finally coming to grips with the idea that maybe her dad's a scumbag. What if she just pushed him out a window? I'd be fine with that. Like uh, like Locke's dad. Mm-hmm. And then he somehow ends up 25 feet away impaled on the uh, the fence out front. She's like, the first time was just practice. This one was intentional. Yeah, that, I just be... had to do a fucking like Hadouken to like throw you 25 feet. That would be a great MO for Ava. She only murders <laughs> she only, that way. She only murders by defenestration. Uh... That's what I have to do to get off. Sorry. Um, so later it's nighttime and the crickets are out. Allie's walking down a sidewalk next to a brick building in the dark. This is the old part of campus. No lights here. She looks around tentatively like she's not sure this is the place and heads around to the front of the building as the clock chimes in the distance. And she's like, gosh, I should have taken that nap. I've been up for 28 hours here. Uh, inside, she's walking past some scaffolding in a dimly lit room. Coming around the corner, she finds a room lit by candelabras like she's... Uh, Liberace. Um, and there are seven chairs in a half circle facing a TV that has been set up on a wooden table on the far side of the room. It almost seems like a cathedral, but it's not. Um, Mona, Dylan, Ava, and Caitlin are all standing in the middle of the room between the TV and the chairs. Ava's like, oh, hey. Allie's curious. She walks closer. Mona's like, so this is weird. Uh, Mona's in the red coat, but not the red coat. Oh, do you have? I'm just going to show you real quick. I don't know if you can see this. Like, there's this shot of her walking in. As like they're all in silhouette, like wouldn't that make a better credit shot? Fuck yes, because you can't because you can't see who they are, per se. It's it's mysterious and visually interesting. I'm just gonna throw this out there for anyone who's who's curious. Twenty three forty six. Yeah, yeah. Go to twenty three forty six in the episode. That's like a really interesting shot. Like that would have been a better credit shot. Yeah, it's 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 sexy stuff. Um, yeah, Kane's like, yeah, no kidding. You're not even a student here. Um, these guys should be freaking the fuck out that these people that they've just been on these wacky adventures with are all here. They're not like, wait a second, fuck. We're about to get blown up or something, Let aren't we? Let me ask you a question. Other than Mona and Allison, of the three perfectionists, who's the smartest? Uh, I mean, I guess, it, like, what kind of smart, you know? Let's just say smartest. Survival's the smartest. Like, street skill smart, I guess, is what you're asking? Who's the cleverest? Sure. Hmm. I think I, I think either Dylan or Ava. What if let's let's well it's obviously Ava. Let's give Dylan some charity. What if it's Dylan and he's the smartest and he looks around at these people, doesn't say a word and just walks out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dylan seems <laughs> like he's also, got his he head tell, on a swivel a little, I guess. What does he tell Andrew when he gets up at like two in the <laughs> he morning? Says, you stay here. You don't follow me. <laughs> I mean, this scene has some serious, like, Ali should just be like, oh, no. And then, like, somebody shoots her in the back of the head. You know? Ooh, ooh. Um, so he was like, are we sure this is the Crimson Society? Um, which I just set up yeah. <laughs> with all my new money. Dylan shrugs, unconcerned. Ali pulls out her letter. Dylan shrugs, unconcerned. God damn it, Dylan. He really is just like, Muh. <laughs> fucking emote. <laughs> He's like, honestly, guys, I used all my emotions when I saw that dude <laughs> on the quad earlier. Ali's like, did we all get an invitation? Everyone nods. It was like this afternoon. And Dylan's like, same. Allie's like glaring at Mona. You could have told me. And Mona's like, I wasn't going to come, but turns out Clara changed your heart. I'm staying. And you could have told me too. Bitch left me alone with Mason. Um, she shoots a playful glare back and Allie gives her a, a predator smile. Um, TV sparks the life behind them. The static gives away to a test pattern and a creepy old Hannibal Lecter slash Red John voice says, um, please take your seats. Who, who who has this? Do you have this? Um, please take your seats. That's not bad. 
Ooh, you are the yeah. professor, Professor James. Mm. So they do. Ava seems very excited. She kind of she's like slapping at Dylan's hands in glee. <laughs> I mean, if there is one thing they have nailed. I feel like that their relationship, the Dylan Ava thing, works for me. Yeah, yeah. They don't need to cut to uh, some packing peanut throwing constantly to convince me that these two are Just tight. Let like these the two, physical acting yeah, interact. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Allie says, two empty chairs, two no-shows? Mona shrugs. I assume these chairs are for Ray, Hogadorn, and Taylor. Uh, I want Ray Hogadorn to be like a weird part of the It's just group. like, oh, what's up? I'm joining the cast. Like, is- I'm one of the leads now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you young kids and me, Ray Hogadorn. Obviously, Allison and Mona are legal, but wouldn't it be hilarious if it was just like, guys, we got to figure out like who saw us that night. And also, Ray, can you buy us beer? Mm-hmm. Ray's just like, <laughs> You know, this reminds me of an old history story that I was reading. And then he just like rambles on in the most boring story ever for 10 minutes <laughs> about like, like Agincourt or something. He's like, don't worry, guys. We're friends who are like family. We're going to figure this out. We're going to stick together. But I actually have to get to work. I'm doing a shift with Ava's boyfriend, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> We're both janitors. <laughs> Oh god! I think he he needs the uh, the and so and so in the credits, you know. I don't know who that actor is, mm-hmm. but yeah. Uh, so Caitlin says, "I guess so." To the, about those two chairs, and the TV switches to a video from the dock where Jeremy got shot. It's of all all of them are in the shot. It's seemingly like either shot by like a drone or maybe a camera mounted on like a telephone pole or a tree, kind of up behind them, looking out the dock. And Dylan says, "What the hell." And they all look at each other alarmed as the score ramps up and we cut to black for commercial. And honestly, Ali or Mona should have expected this. Like, they know how easy it is to get caught in a lie. Yeah. And I, well, unfortunately, it's Allison. The problem is, too, is we're not getting anything more concrete about Allison's feeling for for Taylor. Because that would excuse why she jumped to the foolishness. Because they could have just dumped it all on her and like... Wipe those hands. Claire will handle that. Don't Seriously, you're... she's rich. Yeah. She's a rich blonde white woman. She's gonna be fine. But like the fact that Allison immediately was just like he was attacking Taylor. Like it's like I love her. Mm-hmm. Love makes you do the wacky. So after commercial, we're behind the perfectionists as they all watch the TV in front of them. This is another good dental credit shot here. Uh, the scene plays out just as it did in the previous episode. Jeremy says, "I trusted you," and Caitlin says, "And I trusted you to do the right thing." And I'm sorry, I think Caitlin, is it Claire? Uh, Ava says, oh my God. I think Ava says that uh, not on TV, but just in the scene. Mm. And then Taylor says on TV, stop. And Allie on TV says, Taylor. And Caitlin on TV says, Jeremy, stop. And Mona on TV says, don't do it. Blah, 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 ammo. Hilarious cutaway to that slow-mo shot of Jeremy going down. Like we, we needed to experience that, not on video, just so like Caitlin could feel the trauma of it again. Yeah, like this weird group PTSD shot. <laughs> Inner inner size in there, yeah. It's I I'm not sure why they have to cut to that, but I don't know. It's always funny to see that dude mm. get hit, and Caitlin kind of gasps and covers her mouth as she's watching this while on the TV. She's screaming, "Jeremy, Jeremy!" And Ava just face palms. And Dylan on TV says, "I'm calling 911." And they're all watching this with the dawning realization that this makes them all look extremely guilty. And on TV, Mona's saying, "What did you just do?" And Taylor says, "Oh, he was getting away. He was leaving. He was trying to leave, and he saw it." And Caitlin on TV is like, "Oh my god!" And then Caitlin on or Ava on TV says, "He was charging at you with something in his hands." And Ava just shakes her head as her on-screen self goes and like plants that wooden board in Jeremy's hands, which is hilarious. Uh, and Taylor on TV is saying, "He killed my brother. He was getting away. He was getting away with it." 
And Allie on TV is saying, Taylor, calm down. And then the TV cuts to static and they all stand up alarmed. And Caitlin says, was that Beacon Guard footage? And Mona's like, I thought we were off campus. And Allie's like, obviously we weren't. Okay. Uh, then a little webcam mounted on top of the TV switches on with a beep. And uh, the TV shows the video feed. It's all the perfectionists standing around staring at the camera. And then we hear the professor on speaker say, welcome to the experiment, phase two. And Ava says, who are you? And Dylan says, what do you want? There's no answer because it's probably recording. And Allie says, why is Beacon Guard at the river? And Mona says, the school's all buying more property, expanding their land portfolio. <laughs> Caitlin says, are we sure it was Beacon? It was a Beacon Guard camera? And Mona says, no, we're not sure of anything right now. Same, Mona. I, I don't know why they're adding this ambiguity to whether or not this was a Beacon Guard thing. It seems like you should just pick, pick something and go with it. Well, if it's not Beacon Guard, then what the fuck have we been doing for nine episodes? True, but then at least you can say this guy has access to more than Beacon Guard. Yeah. Instead, it's like ambiguously, maybe it's Beacon Guard, maybe it is, and uh, okay. Well, I mean, like, like you, you're right because it's like the whole phone thing. Yeah. I mean. Whatever. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that later. So anyway, Ava says, "Could this be Dana still messing with us?" And then the professor speaks. I have been watching you. It's been informative, but now that you have given me proof that you are guilty of attempted murder and conspiring to cover up the crime. I can take my experiment to the next level. Follow instructions if you want to remain free. You are too good at that. Am I? This is this should be your new voice. No. <laughs> uh, so Ava says, we're not, or I'm sorry, Ali. I presume you were my DoorDash. <laughs> Ali says, we're not free if you're controlling us. And Dylan's like, what experiment? And Mona says, who are you? And on speaker, the professor says, I'm the person who killed Nolan. Everyone gasps. Ava goes, Oh my God. He was like, You can't take credit for my work. Yeah. Professor says, Oh, I mean, this is all Ava and a voice changer that she recorded earlier anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah. Professor says, Jeremy was guilty of many things, but he was not a killer. And I didn't take pleasure in having to become one. Mm. And Caitlin says, Oh my God, Jeremy didn't kill Nolan. Everyone else is like, Who gives a shit? Shut up, Caitlin. Uh, professor says, Like all of you, Jeremy was part of an experiment. Part one. He survived. He surveilled you at my instruction to protect Caitlin. He has served his purpose and has been removed from the equation. And Caitlin's like, "What do you mean removed? LOL. If he was just dead in the next season, begin. There's oh, like, okay. <laughs> fuck of that. Just I'm kaput. First shot. Jeremy's headstone. Yeah. <laughs> and then the professor says, "Do as you're told." And Caitlin says, "What do you mean removed?" And the professor says, the professor will be watching. Boop. TV shuts off. Caitlin is stunned. Mona walks forward, kind of appraising the TV. And Allie's like, what, what is the experiment? And Mona says, it sounds like phase one was surveilling us. And Ava says, so all that stuff that happened to us, was that Dana or the professor? Dylan says, I don't want to know what phase two is. And Mona says, yes, you do. You can't win the game unless you know, how, unless you know the rules. Caitlin's like, this isn't a game. He manipulated us into almost killing Jeremy. Dylan's like, so we're like human lab rats now? Mona says, this room didn't set itself up on its own. And Ava says, we have to get to Taylor's art. And Mona cuts her off with a classic, like, shush her finger to the lips. Mona says, we're being watched, remember? And Ali says, let's get out of here. And they all walk out in a hurry. So, the professor. Out of nowhere. I feel like somebody guessed at this person's name a couple months ago. What do you mean? I mean, 
It's called Enter the Professor. I, mean, I think a lot of us were like, oh, that's like going to be the real villain. They're going to call themselves a professor. Yeah. It's not a bad name. I really wish we weren't waiting to the end. I think this is an interesting setup. You know, it's like crazy experiment on humans. You know, sure, that's fine. It's it's kind of like the dollhouse taken to the next level in yeah, a way. Yeah, I mean, I think the term that they're they're shopping around in interviews is psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm intrigued by it. I it's it's interesting, or it's like it's clearly like they've written a really intriguing setup. I feel like it's also been written in a way where like they don't really know what this is going to be, and that's fine. I just don't think we needed to take ten episodes to get here. Like, no. I'm really baffled as to why this wasn't the pilot there's there's a way you could do the pilot where they've done the thing where they talk about killing nolan and then he ends up dead and then there's footage of them joking about killing him two-part pilot yeah yeah i mean and this could have been episode two or you know whatever but like they didn't have to all know each other beforehand. They could like get to know each other, become friends through that. They could even do a thing where they've re- it, it's eventually revealed that like, oh, Nolan is only being shitty to everyone because he was part of the experiment. He was, you know, being controlled too. And it's like, oh, his his turn has ended and now we're in the maze, you know? Oh, oh what a great way. Whenever there's like a dead person, you just get the phone yeah. call. It's like his turn has ended. Yeah, or some some visual marker where they yeah. had, oh shit, you know, there this person was under the control of the professor. Uh, yeah, I don't. The the setup it's so baffling anyway because like the we've been friends for a year seemingly but never talked to each other for now because we were fake friends and all this stuff happened a year ago and I've been pretending to be dating this other person for a year and mm-hmm. like none of it really made sense to begin nope. with so like. I don't know. Just, well, so just go back to the actual original perfectionist book thing where it's just like people who don't know each other happen to get together, discuss yeah. their, their shared hatred of this ass clown. Mm-hmm. And then like that dooms them, you know, when the well, dude I ends up dead. You could even keep the quote unquote, no one's perfect posse who weren't really friends at all. And this is how they become friends. And like, you didn't have to do packing peanut stuff. This didn't need to be the season of Mason. They don't need to be friends before this. They, they can be aware of each other. They don't have to. But be. I mean, like, they, they can be strangers. For yeah. them to be stuck in this experiment, like, yeah. they'll, you know, they can become friends along and, the way. And that's the interesting thing about why these people on this list with Ray Hogdorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but like, this became a season of like Mason and Ava's dad. After watching this episode, I was like, oh, so that's where they're going. Why did, why did they take that route to get there? It's, it's like somebody's telling you that they were like, you know, driving somewhere and like they tell you the route they took and you're like, what are you doing? You, there's a way easier way to get there. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. It's not even like you took the scenic route. Yeah. Yeah. And like Jeremy's not in like every episode for him to be the crux of going into episode eight and nine. Uh, and this is a gamble that like I, I love their confidence and I'm hopeful, especially after this episode. It's quite confident to wait till the end of season one but to like introduce your premise. This show might get canceled yeah. so in the interview she talked uh, i marlene king talked about how um brian holman's joined the staff uh, i'm guessing as potentially new showrunner which i'm if that's the case i'm very excited about that mm-hmm. but basically she and him totally. are going to pitch season two ideas to the network in a few weeks mm-hmm. and i like that because i think i think brian brings again some fascinating sensibilities to pll um for on a lot of avenues of the show but steer into this super hard you have mona this is her fucking thing i mean obviously that's why you're teasing us with i haven't even packed up my games yet i mean she's your control 
Yeah, she's your control. Exactly. Um, and there's a version of like using this as your your Rosetta Stone. But yeah, the first nine episodes, I feel like you may not get to a season two because of those first nine episodes. And I don't know. Like it's there's some incredibly talented people on this writing staff, and I feel like this season. It, for whatever it's reason, it's, it seems like they wanted to tease us out and make this the big end of season reveal. But I don't know why, because it's like this is the premise of the show, essentially. Yeah, it should be. Yeah, there's a reason you get A in the pilot of PLL. And and so you and I frequently get asked a question, okay, I want to get into PLL, but I don't want to watch all of it. Just tell me the two episodes I need to watch that will like get or me like started. Episodes one and episodes two. Exactly, because yeah. they are so good about pulling you in. I hate to be like, Go to the season finale of episode or season one of Perfectionists. You know, mm-hmm. and all the other seasons are good, but it's just completely skip the first nine episodes because they're useless. That's not a good place to be, man. And I could even see like I was like, oh, maybe I should go rewatch that uh, that like weird like speed dating meet the professors thing earlier. Maybe there's like something in there, and it's like there's nothing really. I mean, you could say after the fact, like, oh, the professor was actually the guy talking about his like. Uh, handkerchief squares or whatever but it's like there's nothing to hang your hat on and be like oh that was an interesting detail and and this is it turns out this is important or something or like oh they snuck in something there you know gonna bring back tango guy yeah yeah it was him all along yeah like i don't know i i like where they're going now i'm like what yeah what what were you doing yeah i i have a lot of questions i have a lot of questions um and i hope i don't even care about answers just don't Follow in the tracks of the first nine episodes. Follow this. This could be PLL. This is the PLL I've been waiting for. Um, the only thing missing from this, from the potential of this premise going forward, is one thing. You know what it is? Sarah Harvey. My girl's Zoe. Zoe! Where are you at, Roxanne Stathos? What up? Yeah, they definitely need, I mean, we'll talk about that other dis- tonight or, uh, you know, um, Ooh, if we doing? do a wrap up. What but- are we doing tonight? Or didn't meet. I mean, at the end of this episode, whatever. But um, yeah, the, I think we we need to have like a an ideas for season two, like where where they could go type thing. I don't know if we'll do that in this episode, but no, probably not the end of this episode. We're talked about. I was to say it now, so we teased it. We're talking about in a week or two. We'll come back. We'll record. It's like a little follow up. We'll, we'll maybe a little Q and A. Yeah, maybe Q and A. Maybe a little, yeah, maybe maybe a little wrap bit up. higher levels. Season one, looking down. Um, I don't know if we want to just pitch our season two. I mean, we can throw out our ideas. Would They'll be, be ignored, I'm sure. But. Of course. No one well, I mean, you have to hire us to use them, but that'd be cool. Uh, so anyways, cut to the dark, asphalt, single lane road at night. Ali Mona and the perps. This this is shot beautifully, too, with light behind them. I feel like Marlene has, I don't, I don't know if an obsession would be a fair word to put it, but like she seems fascinated by the night mm-hmm. and like walking at night and like being out at night, like, you know, in the witching hour when there's no I one go else walking around. Yeah. After midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's like half of her sensibilities, I think, are fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other half time, I don't, I, I mean, it doesn't have to all be for me, but I'm just, I'm like, you're so close to being just fucking brilliant. Um, because I want her to have a fucking Shondaland career, I really do. Anyway, um, Ali, Moan, and the Perfs all walk along during the moonlight. They're heading to the RV, the road to the RV. Uh, Caitlin into the phone is like. I just need to talk to Jeremy Beckett, please. He has the right to a phone call. It's the law. Hello. Hello. She got hung up on. Beep, 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 beep. The call disconnects. And Caitlin's like, damn it. Well, Dylan's like, Caitlin, he's in the hospital full of cops. All right, he's going to be fine. Mona's like, why us? What does this person want? I'm asking the real questions here. 
And I was like, if those are really Beacon Guard cameras, then Dana and Claire would know the truth about Jeremy, and we'd all be in jail right now. That's such a good idea for the YS if they tweak things previously. Ooh. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to it at the end. Okay, sit on it. Um, and I was like, would we? It was her daughter who pulled the trigger. Duh. Um, they all saw about 100 feet from the RV. As Ava turns to recall something, and she's like, Taylor told me that before she was disappeared, she discovered that someone hijacked Beacon Guard, spy on a select group of people. So basically, the professor hijacked Beacon Guard, spying students, is maybe adding their own cameras as well, or or just using Beacon Guard ones. I mean, right off the bat, my theory, if it's not pre-recorded or typed in recorded messages, is the professor's AI. Mm-hmm. Like it's some kind of crazy algorithm who's like gained sentience, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Of You're it. scratching on one of my suggestions for season two. I'll just leave that be for now. <laughs> oh, uh, how come when they say, I'm sorry, <clears throat> try this again. How come when they say peace, what they really mean is quiet? Sorry, I, it's the first Ultron line that came to my mind. Okay. <laughs> if I had a better Ultron line, you want the world to, oh, fuck, I can't do it. I, was gonna, <laughs> I don't have Ultron lines at the uh, ready. You want the world to change. But what's the other part? I can't remember. Yeah, see? Mm-hmm. Fuck. You know what? All those lines from the trailer that only half of them made it into the movie. Yeah. yeah. Forget that we flubbed that. Pretend it was awesome. Pretend it was awesome. So Dylan's like, how would she even figure that out? Um, All these puppets just hanging from strings. It's it's a straight up Red John voice too. Except uh, maybe Red John's a little more, I don't know, pervy. I think Norman uh, Instagrammed like his inspiration. It was an old Doris Day movie hmm. uh, with like a creepy guy on the phone. Uh, did you see that? Like I the gave video? you my number. Yeah. No, I didn't. I need, I need to ask him about that. Um, so Ali's like, Taylor created Beacon Guard. And Mona's eyebrows shoot up like, fucking excuse me? <laughs> Mona's like, I want her now. I love her. And Ali's like, after her father was murdered. So chillax. But nobody knows the system works better than she does. And he was like, whoever hijacked Beacon Guard tried to kill Taylor. That's why she left. We keep hearing this, but we've yet to learn exactly what this attack consisted of. Um, and I was like, so she knew somebody was watching us. And Ava says, no, she knew people were being watched, but she didn't know who they were or why, which, like you said, seems like a meaningless distinction. So Dylan's like, we don't know the why, but now we know who we are. Friends who are like family. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking, you got it twice. It's going to happen a third time, right? It doesn't? I, I don't think so. I think it's only the twice. But what if it was the professor? Don't you see? You were friends. You're like friends. I made you like Family. We were like, family, you're not going to sleep tonight. Um, so Mona's like, minus the two that never showed up tonight, there were seven chairs and five of us. And I was like, why wouldn't she tell us about this? Um, didn't she? Are we misremembering this? It seems like everyone should know this by now. Or I guess Ava just didn't tell everyone else what Taylor told her about all hijacking a beacon guard or something. She's like, guys, I'm so sorry. With the shooting... And the cover up and hashtag Zeva and like me just inheriting like ninety million dollars, whoopsie doopsie. Um, and it was like the scoreboard, the rat in my trunk, Caitlin getting hit by a car. Are we saying that this wasn't Dana poking us until we cracked? Um, remind me of the scoreboard. That was when they were out at the track and like on. Oh oh oh. oh yeah, the, I I can't remember what it said. It was something about the rat, I think, or something no, like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cue a montage of us complaining about that pretty obvious terminology of the rat mm. they took so seriously. I love that this chair just wants to 
Yeah, like it leans. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's the floor in my uh, room here leans to one side or. You what. guys can't see this obviously, but if I don't do anything, this chair will just roll me right out of the way. So Caitlin's like, "I'd rather believe it's Dana than this professor creep." Uh, and I remember watching this preview scene on YouTube at the gym and being like, "Woo!" Oh yeah, yeah, it was dumb. Um, and I was like, "I think there's someone in there." She's peering past him at the RV. There's a light on inside, and he was like, "I was out here yesterday with Taylor." We did not leave the lights on when we left. And I was like, maybe it's Taylor. Maybe she's back from Riverwell, from me and my heart. And they take a few steps towards the RV when kaboomy, uh, it explodes. There's an awkward slowdown shot of them ducking in reaction. For some reason, that's the one they use in the credits. Not the other cool explosion shots. They're all gasping. Uh, Team Mom Alley is concerned. I was like, is everybody okay? I've been through this one time before, but it was a lot bigger and more epic when my... uh, uh, friend Toby's house blew up. He and I made out once. It's a long story. Um, <laughs> uh, Caitlin's like, yeah. You made fun of my mom. <laughs> I hate you. I showed you my toy truck when I was 14, but I looked like I was... <laughs> I was no, when I was four, but I looked like I was 14. I think it would be more accurate. Seriously, who's responsible for that timeline? Uh, so, hilarious. hilarious it's like, interpretive memory. What do you want? <laughs> Oh man, I just I just want like a look. The guy day. that we hired on the continuity, he kind of fucked up. Okay, <laughs> it's funny for reasons. Uh, hilarious manic landing from Janelle here. She says, "Well, there was somebody in there. They're in pieces now." <laughs> the way she says that, she's like, "Well, if there's somebody in there. They're in pieces now." Ali's like, "Jeez," and Clara's and Mona. <laughs> I was like, "What? It's the truth. I say the truth now." Um, then all the phones start ringing. Classic PLL trope of a new twist. Mona checks her phone and it shows that Mona is calling. And she's like, say what now? And Dylan's like, how could we be calling ourselves? Robo calls. So LOL, Allie's contact photo for herself is an old PLL production still from when Sasha was like 13. Amazing. They all have their- <laughs> all the contact photos. Like Mona's is like obviously one from the when from the pilot when she's like wearing a red dress and then it's like and then Allie's contact photo is like from the pilot of PLL or something I wonder if we'll ever 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 we're going to talk about the text messages but if we'll ever ever see any kind of in show of them texting the others and see like the stupid emojis they have as uh contact photos because there's no fucking way you're telling me that Allison De Laurentiis does not have an actual picture of her ex-wife. I mean, I can only see it's like for rights or legal reasons. We know exactly why, Mm -hmm. but in universe, no fucking way. Um, So they all hold their ringing phones out, confused. Ava's like, I don't know, but I'm answering it. She puts it on speaker. The professor on the phone is like, participation in the experiments is mandatory. Failure to follow instructions will result in your immediate incarceration. So they're all bewildered and we cut to black. Presumably the professor doesn't want the perps to have their own access to Beacon Guard to see who set up the Crimson Society's meeting. The Crimson Society sounds like something out of the Venture Bros. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the Revenge Society! Uh, so after commercial, we're back at Allie's. The fire is burning and Allie's pouring in some coffee because that's what she does now. And Ava says, so what do we do now? And Allie says, we do what the professor tells us to do. Caitlin's like, what? And Mona says, we keep this to ourselves and we play along until we figure out who they are. Allie and Mona, just a couple salty old vets they here. Are. They've been through the war. They've played the game a few times. Yeah. And Dylan says, great, more secrets. And Caitlin says, how are we supposed to figure out who they are if we can see ev- if they can see everything we do? That's a good question, Caitlin. The writers are going to try to fix that in a few scenes. <laughs> uh, Dylan says, 
are you sure we shouldn't just go to the cops and tell them the truth? Clearly, Dylan has never seen PLL. You never go to the cops. And when it says, do you really want to take that risk? We're all complicit and it's on video. And he nods as though he forgot this till now. And Mona says, last I checked, conspiracy to cover up a felony lands you up to five years in prison. And Ava's was like, you check stuff like that? And Mona says, I get bored in long lines. And Ava just kind of I, blinks, like only beginning to fathom just who the hell Mona is. Like, oh, a player. I need more of that. Like, I need lines like Stephen Moffat would write for his iteration of Sherlock just to come out of Mona's mouth seamlessly because that's who she is. Yeah, and Mona says, and look, and she turns to Caitlin, if Jeremy was part of the experiment, then maybe you can figure out the connection between him and the professor. And Allie says, knowledge is power. <laughs> and Mona says, thank you, Allie. Did you read, read that in a quote book? No. Uh, Ava says, well, it seems like the professor has all of it. And Allie says, so we take it back. We stay and we fight. And Caitlin says, I do whatever it takes to make sure no one sees that video. And Ava says, I didn't work this hard to reinvent myself just to become another wanted Jalali. This is the part of the script where like all the perfectionists feel the need to justify themselves and their motivations for some reason. All, all via dialogue. Yeah. That's how they're defined. And Dylan says, I agree. I didn't work this hard to stay at BHU just to give up now. Were you really working hard, Dylan? I, I think you cheated is what we saw you do. When they all pool their skills and like Mona's like, you've got my intellect and Ava's like, you've got my hacking and fashion and skills. like, and my cello bow. Yeah. Or yeah, or you know, and Caitlin's like, you've got my axe. And Dylan's like, I don't know, can I cheat on something? Yeah. Huh? 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 <laughs> uh, so Mona says, I know where to start because an idea has occurred to her. Yeah, you are. Cut to Claire Hotchkiss's office. It must be the next day. Mona's here. Claire is holding out some kind of small metal tin uh, to her about the size of a deck of cards. And Claire says, does this mean you're going to keep seeing him? And Mona reaches for the tin, but Claire kind of pulls it back for a second. She says, is that why you want it? Mona snatches the tin away and says, secrets are so hard to keep, Claire. The fewer people who know them, the better. And she kind of smirks at her implied threat and walks the exit. And Claire says, Mona. Mona pauses as Claire stands and walks over to her. And Claire says, I'm watching you. And Mona gives her some sassy eyebrows and leaves, only showing concern when facing away. I feel like that line from Clara is designed to make us suspect that, who could she be the professor? She's watching, just like the professor. I mean, what's interesting about this, and like they kind of teased it, we talked about this in some of the promo stuff for the show, is, is again, the surveillance state. Mm -hmm. That so far these characters have been like oblivious about, even though it's like, fuck them every time it could. And it's like that was that's a good thread to pick up from PLL. I mean, you remember the genius of the hundredth episode is when Arya and Ezra have their stupid sex scene, which is shot beautifully. Like there's the fucking cover of I'll be watching you is playing. But it's like it's there. Like A is watching them. I mm -hmm. mean, like picking up that thread and like running with it is so intriguing. And it's like these characters just realize that there's cameras everywhere. They should. I mean, Mona knew about the the whole time. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird how it's never been made as big of a deal as it should have. Yeah, yeah. Um. So later, it's night again. Luke's food truck is parked in a parking lot on campus. Luke himself is busting a table. Andrew and Dylan approach. Dylan has a tight leather jacket on now, kind of redoing dirt. Did you skip a scene? Did I? Maybe I did. Oh did yeah. You? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Short Ava scene we skipped. Meanwhile. Ava is doing something at her desk in her own office. She's writing and referring to a handwritten notebook going back and forth between it and her computer. Presumably this is a notebook from the envelope, the sealed files, mm. all that. She's typing in account numbers and details to transfer funds for shown banking and loan. She hits the transfer button and the screen changes to transfer successful. 
She just transferred about three hundred five thousand dollars, and her current balance is fifty nine million or so. Not bad. Uh, and she's using a BHU computer, so I guess the professor knows all about this too. Ava, have you learned literally nothing? Uh, anyway, back to the Andrew and Dylan scene. Andrew says, uh, "Are you sure you want to do this right now? You seem off, frazzled." Dylan says, "I need to do it today. I need to know that I can stand up for myself." And Andrew's like, "Okay." And Dylan says, "Yeah." Would it just be hilarious if these two just went up and like jumped Luke and beat the shit out of him? That would be so awesome. <laughs> I, I feel like Andrew, he has like kicking you in the stomach when you're down energy. You know, I you feel like so? that he'd go to town. Yeah. Mm, mm. Uh, so Andrew stays back and waits as Dylan goes over to confront Luke. And Dylan says, hey, Luke. And he kind of struts up, gets right in Luke's face. And Luke says, oh, so you're back. You ran out of here. Dylan cuts him off and says, I, I don't know why you're here, but I'm not afraid of you anymore. Luke's like, look, Dylan, no, you listen to me. You mess with me again, you will regret it. Dylan's really amped up now. You can tell he's just, he's all nerves. He's doing his best to seem like he means it. Luke doesn't know what to say. And so Dylan, meanwhile, has reverted to like short guy energy. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan takes off and walks back to Andrew, who's just watching all this. And I really, like, I needed like a gesture or like a tough guy nod from Andrew. Because like he's facing the Luke as, as uh, Dylan's walking away. You know, I, I wanted something. Yeah. Like a, a head nod he's, or like a, a finger wag. or you know. He's just like nonchalantly like swinging nunchucks. <laughs> or like opening and closing a butterfly knife. You know? <laughs> so they walk off holding hands. Luke watches him go. Kind of inscrutable but troubled. It's. Hey, he, they got out of the fucking dorm. It's already a better scene. You know. Yeah. But it's like. Yeah, I want them to like just be fucking goofballs together. Like that's let's see them out in the world doing. I think yeah, that's the only time that you and I have like really rooted for like Ari and Ezra is when they seem like they were just fucking monsters for each other. Like when they're like shoving pie in each other's face victoriously. Um, but like, I'm just curious why Luke here. Like, why not season two? It seems Luke. like they're preemptively like setting up to like this will be the new conflict to the love interest and maybe. If the chemistry's good, we'll get rid of Andrew and we'll this will be the new guy, you know. That's the vibe I get. Andrew's like, listen here, Dylan. I want to trust you, but after the eight times that you've cheated on me and lied to me previously. I'm not sure if I can. <laughs> but I'm gonna give you just four more chances. Mm-hmm. This oh. this month. <laughs> and then it, it rolls over again. Oh, he's got rollover. Yeah, chances. he's got rollover chances. <laughs> Uh, cut to Mona's play. She's plugging a flash drive into her laptop. Mona's like, I got it from Claire. It's the location of every active Beacon Guard camera and listening device. And a list of every dead zone on the campus. There's no fucking way Claire gives this to you. This is proprietary information. Fuck no. Because she just really has her over a barrel, I guess. Like what? <laughs> it doesn't seem like she has that much leverage. But I, I mean, like I need to see more about the leverage. And I don't hate and I fucking hate this because it all comes from Mason. It's mm-hmm. all these two women having a pissing contest over this fucking guy. But like presumably you need to be something like I'll reveal where I know like a certain mole is from Mason or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. so Which, on, by the way, just you remember that uh, scene from the pilot when Mona was uh, talking to the mirrors and it seemed like there was like a control center at Beacon Guard that was like running her like an agent or something. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How does that fit into this? Yeah. I feel like it's like, we'd like you to forget that. <laughs> I don't, because in the last, in the episode or two before, Mona had the, the like very tossed off line of like, Flawless. I figured it out that people were watching me. So they like let me in on like knowing about it. And it's like, was that 
the retcon? Was that nope. just you dusting it off to the side and we'll never in bring it up the again? the worst way, she said, I figured out they have cameras in the bathrooms. Mm. Mm. And yet, and yet, in the pilot, the first time, she's talking to the mirror in Allison's living room. Like, if that was just the the really lazy shorthand of, like, we're just going to get rid of that plot line, why didn't they just edit it out of the pilot? It was only like 20 seconds or something. Like it would just, you cut it out. You don't miss anything. Just end with like them all grieving yeah. over of the crime scene. It would be hilarious if it's like coming to Netflix season one of the perfectionist. And it's just this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so on screen, we see a schematic of the whole university of little yellow symbols for the cameras and microphones are and dash green lines outlining the dead zones. I guess mine was able to blackmail Claire for this too. Yeah. I mean, skip that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Mona says, places we can talk privately. So I guess we're going to go with this idea that like there are dead spots that they can converse. Or at least they believe that to be the case. I mean, are we going to get to a thing in season two where like they're constantly like touching their ear and like get to the checkpoint? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, so Allison like, again, points to the, the beacon guard box on her wall. She says, is this one of them? And Mona says, private living spaces are safe, but your phones, your computers, your tablets, anything that uses Wi-Fi can be monitored by beacon guard. That is not necessarily what was implied by like Booker knowing that Dylan turned in the fake recording as his own. It seems like private residences are not safe. Also, the photos of Dylan and Nolan, mm-hmm. those are like post-coital in bed on top of you pictures. Yeah. Um, so Ava suddenly looks concerned maybe about using her computer to do all those bank transfers. No, duh. I mean, like what I want is the scene where like the, she's at home doing all this stuff and like the professor calls her and he's like foolish Ava. And then she watches like the bank account just like wipes down to zero. Um, for some reason it like the numbers do that rolling thing, yeah, like yeah. the counting down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> tisk tisk. Um, and I was like, even when they're turned off. And Ava's like, technology keeps us safe, but it also makes us vulnerable. She looks at the camera, <laughs> winks. Ava's like, well, now we know where the professor can and can't see us. Um, I guess. Yeah. Ava and Allie both peer at Mona's computer. Dylan's like pacing around behind them and looks over to Caitlin. Dylan's like, Caitlin, you okay? She shakes her head. And she's like, this is our fault. And Allie narrows her eyes. She's not here for this fucking pity party, not in her living room. And Caitlin's like, Jeremy's lying in a hospital bed accused of murder because of us. And I was like, no, this is the professor's fault. You cannot forget that, Caitlin. I don't want to fucking hear it again. But Ava You know plays- what it feels like they've been doing with Caitlin these past few episodes? She's becoming like the Arya where it's just about her relationship all the mm-hmm. time, you know? Mm-hmm. I would say it almost makes sense, though. There's like all the relationships are crammed into the pilot. If the pilot had been just about like really setting up one of their relationships too, but theoretically it should have been Ava's because she was like the Aria once upon a time. Well, the problem is we don't care about any of these relationships because we didn't see them begin. And so we had no investment in them. Well, and the other problem too is anything in the past was a year ago. Yeah. Even if it was two years ago, it was a year ago. Yeah. Ava, Ava is good Aria and Caitlin's become bad Aria. Mm. (laughs) Um, so Allie's like, turn your guilt into anger and action. Figure out a way to stay at BHU and clear his name. And Caitlin's phone chimes, text her mom. I need to see you before I leave. And Ava's like, is that an update on Jeremy? Caitlin's like, it's my mom. She's not leaving until I come home. And Allison nods, sad for some reason. Then all their phones start ringing again. They like warily check them. Once again, the calls are coming from themselves. And Dylan's like, it's the professor. So they all like set their ringing phones on the coffee table. 
Uh, Ava covers her face in her hands, tired. Dylan will be the one to take the call. He puts it on speaker, and we hear, uh, tell me what keeps you up at night, what you're afraid to think about, but you can't stop thinking about. Tell me your worst fears. And Ava's like, so this is some kind of psychological warfare? Also, they don't hang up. No. They just continue <laughs> <have> this conversation. <laughs> That's rude. I'm right here still, Hello. sort of. I can still hear you. <laughs> I mean, yes, technically I could eavesdrop on you as well, but come on. I need you guys to take this seriously. I'm playing this fair. I called you. You did not hang up. Yeah. Kane's like, the second we tell them what we're afraid of, they're going to make it happen to us. Uh, Dylan's like, is that what the experiment is? They just torture us and see how we react to it. Mona will explain this because she invented this game. (laughs) Copyright Mona Vanderwall. Doesn't this kind of have some Alex Drake vibes? A little bit. I mean, you're telling me that Alex Drake escaped. Technically, it's more CC than Alex, but. Yeah, yeah. But Alex Drake like got out, escaped the dollhouse too, set herself up at PHU, mm-hmm. became a professor, <laughs> got her teaching degree. She She's just like, used like Spencer's. Uh, I was identity. actually in school the whole time. I was bartending. That's what it was all for, you know. All right, what's up? Yeah, um, I was like, they want to get inside our heads, find out what makes us tick. And he says, then we need to figure out what makes them tick. And Ava says, and how do we know that when we don't even know who it is? And Allison says, action is character. And Dylan's like, is that Oprah? And Ava says, no, Maya Angelou said it first. Kane's like, you're both wrong. It was F. Scott Fitzgerald. And Ava should start looking. Dylan snickers about this. But man, I was waiting for Mona to be like, thanks, Spencer. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I wasn't there in that Spencer and Toby scene, but I'm Mona. So you know that I know about it because I'm Mona. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fucking Caitlin. You're supposed to be smart. Come on. Um, And Allison's like, we need to study them while they're studying us. And he was like, how do we do that? So the perfectionists all looked at Allie and Allie has expression in her face. Like, like you read as I have no fucking idea. It just sounded like a cool thing to say in my head. And this is my poker face. That's really how she looks. Like she just has this look like, I don't really know what I'm going to play it off. Like I do. And I'm being inscrutable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we hear the cello version of poker face. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but apparently she does have an idea. So, okay, the rules that they're trying to establish is that the dorms in the houses are places the professor can't spy on them, even though it would seem like Beacon Guard can not only has it had access like that we've seen, like yeah. seemingly inside, but also like if Beacon Guard can access your phone or your computer even when they're off, shouldn't it be able to just like turn the mic on or on your computer or your phone to like listen in on you. Right. Right. Um, I think the show is telling us that it can't, that the professor can't like, right. I, I think we're just kind of going to go with that. Um, maybe he can just use their location or see what's on their phone screen, but he can't actually like listen in uh, to like what they're saying. I suppose he could listen to calls though. Um, this doesn't explain how Dana Booker was getting her information, which surely required access to video feeds inside the rooms. It would seem weird if like, it was like, oh, no, yes, technically there's a camera in that beacon guard box, but that's not accessible or something like that, you know? Yeah, when there may or may not be a camera, like, behind the mirror like, in that very room. It's weird that they've made a big deal visually about these beacon guard boxes all season. If they are, in fact, just, like, harmless, like, Wi-Fi routers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess that's what the show is trying to tell us, though. It's, it seems to be telling us, yes, right now the professor cannot monitor them because they're in a private residence. Yeah. And until we hear otherwise, that would appear to be the the rules that they're establishing here. It doesn't make a ton of sense based on what's happened in the show so far. Right, right. But and or just the, them talking about, you know, having access to phones and computers and whatnot. 
But I guess going forward, they probably they're, they're exposed that they talk on phones or like send text messages, I'm going to assume. But if they're just meeting at someone's house, that should be safe to talk. I really, it's frustrating when you establish that you have smart characters and you do a good job of like following their logic, but their logic is bad. Like, I don't want to follow smart characters' bad logic. Well, part of that's but also, so, it's, it's been contradicted by stuff earlier in the season, too. So we know Taylor created Peking Guard. Mm-hmm. Taylor has told us that that box is harmless. It's also kick ass Wi Fi, et cetera. This is what, this is his capabilities. Multiple times now, we've heard Taylor and Mona say, Someone has taken over this thing and perverted it for their own reasons and changed it and mm-hmm. modified it. But we're like, no, Taylor said it's just this. It's like, but Taylor also said it's been cha- everything's been changed. Yeah, it's like I, I, I can only assume because they put this scene here, they want to tell us like, no, these are the rules. Mm-hmm. It would be even worse if they then like pulled the rug out later and been like, aha, but this guy actually hacked the boxes in your rooms and he's been listening the whole time. It's like, then what was the fuck was the point of that scene? You well, know? the problem is that, is that we've already seen things that contradict yeah. the rules. I know that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. And then, and then the scene from the pilot, like what the fuck with the but whole also, control room with beacon guard? Like what was that all about? Like you said, Booker's also had access to this stuff mm-hmm. and she should, she's the head of security. I get that. But the problem is what we're setting up for our Uber villain here. You're telling me Booker has the same access as our omnipotent villain? Like that's also what the fuck is active surveillance? <laughs> I mean, there's so there, there's bones of such a great, interesting. If you just throw out story. the previous episodes, like okay, this yeah, sure yeah. yeah, but I think he has access to like all the public like CCD cameras, and I I, th- I feel like they should almost throw out the phones and computer thing because that. I don't know. I mean, I guess they need that to like have the professor be able to get more info on them, but well, that seems too is, much. The sad thing is that's realistic though. Yeah. People can do that. Like mm-hmm. you open the wrong attachment and suddenly your cameras always have well, especially these are all school issued and they have like their own like, yeah. you know, management software on there. Yeah. yeah that shit's already off there. <laughs> but seemingly if that's the case, then it's like you better like, I don't know, break your phone before you have a conversation near it or else it can listen in on you. You know, I was like, don't worry. I know a guy and then like Caleb pulls up and he's like, here you go. Here's 75 burner phones. <laughs> Mona's like, take me with you. And Caleb's like, no, you're not sleeping. <laughs> he on peels out and tries off. <laughs> you're not sleeping on our fucking couch, man. I thought I fucking thought that the Mona texting Hannah was the most egregious of the text message things. Oh shit. This last one was the worst. Oh yeah. But no, I'm sorry. Uh, just stop for a minute here. Mona texts Hannah, who's willing to take her in, even though that's not going to fly. Um, and and they have a baby, but, oh, can I sleep on your couch? Caleb's not going to be into that. Oh, no, you can't. Fucking Lucas is already sleeping on the couch. Him and Caleb are working on Pooper, the nap that tells you where you can poop. Um, with no. the, uh, the little <laughs> double U's with the umlauts over yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> Which looks like a butt, yeah. Um, like all of oh, that. Oh, looks like a butt. What great branding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you think that's accidental? <laughs> We paid Chip Kid a thousand million dollars for that uh that logo. No, I had it's to like pay fifty thousand dollars for that URL. You gotta ask yourself one question. Do you lunch? And then what mm-hmm. happens after lunch? You poop. Yeah, anyway, so it's like there's for a certain group of the fan base, oh that's so adorable. Yay. But it's like it's peer to peer pooping. 
what's the fucking exchange from everyone we know is uh Bitcoin is good. Yeah. Is uh we're just gonna poop back and forth sharing the same poop forever. <laughs> but like it's like there's a select group of the fan base who's like, oh, that's so adorable. But it's like that's not ro- remotely realistic or established within the text. Anyway. So exterior shot, student union at night. Uh, then we're inside in a wide two shot as Allie talks to a red-haired woman in a professional blazer. Uh, this is Dr. Fielder, we will come to learn. Is this too close to Allison's ex-wife's last name? Um, you could have named her anything. What was his last name? Dunhill? Allison's ex-wife Allison. is named oh, Emily Fields. Fields. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was just like trying to follow th- that path of... Uh, Archie Dunhill? Yeah. Um, and I was like, what the fuck was that guy's fake name? I can't even remember. <laughs> but Emily Fields, the Dr. Fielder, I'm just saying uh, you can name them anything. Yeah. Well, it's also a show with a Nolan and a Dylan and a Mason. So, yeah. I mean, I don't even care about there being two Andrews. It's Andrew, babe. And we got him. <laughs> That's true. There are two Andrews, too. Two Andrews. All right. Uh, Dr. Fielder, we will learn. They're sitting at a table. Behind them is a painting of an appears to be an early 20th century town on the wall. Uh, Dr. Fielder says, you're not the first student at BHU who's decided to change majors midstream. It's not a major. Allie's a grad student. Can't just change that on a whim, but fine. Uh, Dr. Fielder says, but you're the first to be honest with me about why you want to study psychology. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know what makes you tick. You can't figure out who someone else is until you figure out yourself. I like don't do you need like is Ali like a minor in psych or something can he just like randomly be like I'd like to be a psych grad student even though I have an education degree I just don't know yeah I mean uh, maybe she had to take some child psychology or something for her teacher's degree let's hand wave it you know she's been clapping it uh man that reminds me of the teacher thing and like how was she teaching like credentialing yeah just, yeah five years may not have been enough mm-hmm. time especially for a girl who may or may not like really have finished high school yeah so anyway Allie says that's exactly why i want to join your department but she has this annoyed look on his face like she says it like she resents this uh and dr fielder says then welcome to the department of psychology allison we uh we don't teach fucking nutso courses about and then there were none yeah so dr rises and shakes Allie's hand and Allie says Thank you, Dr. Fielder. And the doctor leaves. Ali sips her coffee. This seems like a rather extreme move, like completely altering your graduate degree field and essentially your life goals. But I guess it's to keep yourself out of jail. I don't know. Uh, so Ali stares up the camera mounted high on the opposite wall. It beeps and a red light turns on and there's dramatic music on the score rising. So Ali stares about it and we cut to commercial. But I mean, Allison is going to wage con- a counter combat on the professor the same way like Michael Crichton used to write books. She's going to go to like enroll in a whole other field of study for like two years. I guess. Like, but this gonna... just seems like it feels like somebody came in and is like, oh, this isn't working. We're going to make Ali a psych major instead. You know, like it's it's bizarre all the pivoting that's happening. Not here. that she ever really. Sh- she only had two classroom scenes. Yeah. In the English class. It's like now she's going to be more of a student, I'm guessing, than a, than a teacher is what they're pivoting to. Yeah, yeah, they realize this whole teacher thing's not working out. So it'll only look Mona's better. on staff. Yeah, Mona's just going to be hanging out as like an admissions recruiter or something. Yeah, yeah. they're all grad students. I, I don't know. When I was watching this, it suddenly clicked to me. I'm like, 
why weren't they all just grad students? Like originally it was a high school thing. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, they couldn't do that. And it'd be weird if Allie was a teacher of high school kids because that's even more weird and inappropriate for them to be interacting as much as they would. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wait, why weren't they all just grad students? Mm -hmm. Like you just age the perfectionists up instead of, you know, even further than high school. Yeah. They're all grad students. You know, now, they've been recruited perhaps by the professor without realizing it. But now she's in class and the teacher's going to be talking, you know, about normal psychology things like, oh, you know, as a therapist, there's transference and all this stuff. And Allison's going to be like, um, can I pivot the question to like, what if it's like an omnipotent, <laughs> omniscient villain who's out to get you? And the, the professor's like, I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, so after the break, we're still looking up at that camera on the wall with the red light on underneath it. Um, Call me crazy, mm, 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 but I can't help this madness. The singer in tones and the soundtrack as Allie rises from her table and grabs her coat. She saunters over closer to the wall like he's with the camera. Um, shot from the camera's angles that records her. This was this whole sequence, like it made for a good like commercial. It was felt very weird to me that they suddenly all start doing this. I that mean, they would I, happen to know to do this specifically. Yeah. I mean, it's like you just kind of have to go with it. I mean, obviously, it's like a montage crescendo to the Mona thing, which then to me screams Mona's our lead. <laughs> it's the thing like we're like they've been trying to dance around it, but like it seems like she's becoming our lead. Um, I, I'm going to hate it if like every season we have to find a reason to like backbench. No, it's, back a Saeed, Mona. it's a Saeed yeah, situation. Well, it's like, yeah. Mona's in a coma for three episodes because mm -hmm. she's too good. Anyway, Allison to this camera says, I'm afraid I'm too broken to be fixed. And she walks off and the other people who are sitting there beside her are like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, cut to Caitlin resting her hand over her Like, is she on her phone? <laughs> Um, they're at the mom's mansion and Caitlin's like I know you and mom only want what's best for me and I know that's staying here I need to prove myself to myself that I can excel at BHU even though leaving here makes more sense with every passing minute her mom looks away like nonplussed and Caitlin's like please give me one more chance to prove it to both of us seriously just blackmail her Caitlin and be like yeah mom I want, I want full access to the bank account or whatever Ken's mom's like, if you don't go into law, it'll be one hell of a waste because you are a very convincing young woman. Is she? No. No, 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 no. No, sorry. Yeah, that's what the script tells us. Uh, Caitlin smiles, flatter, and Caitlin's like, I love you, mom. And her mom chuckles and they hug. Uh, doesn't say it back. Um, Caitlin's like, I promise I won't screw this up. And her mom's like, we'll be keeping a close eye on you. Wink. Um, Another candidate for the professor? I don't know. It's like it's we need some character saying that we're going to be watching you. To, I don't know, make us paranoid. Nobody would be happy with Senator Caitlin's mom. What would be the point of that? I think you're, I mean, you're a senator. Don't you have better things to do? Let's get real. Presumably, the professor's a committee. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Maybe it's that whole organization that was running Mona, Ooh. and Mona has just decided not to tell the other characters about it. Hydra. Yeah. Yeah. So her mom smiles again and caresses Caitlin's cheek and then she leaves. And after she goes, Caitlin opens up her laptop and brings up a webcam app. And into the webcam, she says, I'm afraid I'll fail. Not just at school, but in life. And then her mom walks back and is like, who are you talking to? <laughs> but she closes the laptop. So cut to Ava walking into the student union. She smiles as she sees Zach across the room. Zach is smiling as well. He's talking to some kid as he works. And then we hear, achoo. Dana Booker enters from stage left, wiping her nose after sneezing. Booker says, I really hate the Pacific Northwest. I've had an allergy since I got here. And Ava says, maybe you should relocate. Booker says, that was the plan until you decided to play Robin Hood. And Ava says, as usual, your lips are moving, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And Dana smirks and turns to the side to gesture at Zach behind her. 
And Booker says, Zach's happy because an anonymous person returned half the money your dad stole to his clients. And Ava remains smiling but gives no reaction. And Booker says, just like that, the funds were transferred back to the rightful accounts. And Ava says, just like that, go figure. Booker says, I don't think it was your dad who had the sudden change of heart. Maybe I was wrong about you after all. And Ava says, so that money you found, and kind of raised her eyebrows, turning it in. Booker says, I haven't decided. I might get myself a new pair of shoes. And Dana walks off. So I guess she could turn the money in and implicate Ava or keep all that cash for herself. Or third option, turn the money in but not implicate Ava. It seems like a mostly a raw deal for Ava. If I were Ava, I'd be like, chop, chop, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, returning the money doesn't mitigate punishment or the crime itself. No, it doesn't. (laughs) I mean, I guess she'll feel better because these people have some money left over. Zach's like, I I get the good news. I get to quit one of my three jobs. Yeah. (laughs) So Ava watches Booker leave, maybe forever. Yeah, it's very ambiguous. Uh, and then turns to notice another camera on the wall behind her and she kind of straightens her posture and looks up at it. It beeps and a red light turns on. Uh, and Ava says, I'm afraid I'll become like my father. And she turns away from the camera, disturbed after admitting that aloud. And then she sees Zach again. She smiles and walks over to her, him and he gives her a big hug. The the red light thing to indicate that the professor is watching you, like that doesn't make any sense because that implies what these cameras aren't. It, that's a, a visual cue that another show did pretty successfully. All is it, is it person of interest? It's person of interest, yeah. I just it it I get what they're going for, obviously, but I feel like it doesn't make sense in the normal in the universe day to day. I think you just have to go with it as saying like this is just to let the audience know that the camera's watching. Hmm. And yet it's always watching. Yeah. So but cut to Mona's place. Yeah. She's trying for the like the third time to rid herself of the STD that is known as Mason Gregory. Ugh. Mason, Claire has no leverage. We can still see each other. Mona's like, I made her a promise and I plan to honor it, fuck boy. And he's like, hey, we are two consenting adults. You know it wasn't just about sex for me. Do we see? I mean, this guy is on record fucking like older women on campus. Um, it's running all over campus. Yeah, yeah. Doing Doing what? Your favorite two words? I, I don't know. Getting it wet. Getting it wet. Those are three words. Well, get wet, but hmm. yeah, whatever. Splash, splash. Um, he's like, we both get that this can be something. And she seems distraught, but is trying to maintain her calm exterior. And she's like, look, I'm sorry you misread the signals, but for me, it was just about the sex. And I like that she's out Nolan, this like Nolan wannabe. And he's like, I don't believe you. And she marched over the door and opens it for him to go. He's like, just about the sex for me and I'm bored of you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be so good if she just full on said it. She had some crazy yellow Corellian blood stripes on her button fly jeans. And she's like, like I said, I'm sorry. He finally takes the hint and leaves. She shuts the door behind him and then collapses against it, crying and having been wasted for four episodes of the season of this lame romance plot line. I hope it's the last we've ever seen a Mason, but we know that it's not, that they're going to fight I mean, to I, bring this back. I don't know. You, you have to wonder. We'll see. I think. Unfortunately, the creator of the show is all in on this. <sighs> I don't know that anyone else is, but who's who's in charge? So after she collects herself, she rushes over to her laptop, opens the webcam app on it. To the webcam, she says, you want to know what my greatest fear is? Dying before I find out who you are, bitch. She slams that laptop shut, feeling a fresh surge of that adrenalized hyper-reality. Um, man, if this had just been like 
Mona, like you, like you said in your nose here, if this is just when Mona like like taking like establishing the pilot, like taking her medication to keep that adrenaline. We, we somewhat at bay. established in the past that she needs medication to like mm-hmm. keep her adrenaline hyper reality at bay. Um, I don't know why I spelled bay b e y. Uh, it would explain why she's not at the top of her game, mm-hmm. um, and like allow for a plot line where like she stopped taking her meds. You know, it's like like she needed to for them or something, but it's like they don't know what's going to happen. Which is like that's a serious issue people with, with with mental health situations face, where they have medicine that helps them, quote unquote, be normal, but it makes them feel like they're limited, like yeah. they don't have full access to themselves. And like I think part of not super fleshed out. The the only explanation I can think of for the Mason stuff is that it's like Mona's acknowledged that she hasn't had a normal human person's like twenties or life. Mm. So she's trying to experience some of that. She had the dude in France. But I feel like Mona's like, you know what? I sat down and I took stock of all my shit. And I was like, I've been on TV for eight years and I haven't had a single on camera sex scene. Maybe this is the year for that. (laughs) Monkey's paw wish. Yeah. (laughs) Cause we don't know that she actually fucked Frenchie. I assume. I assume it's officer Frenchie. Oh, Yeah, so cut to Dylan walking out of a school building at night. He pauses on the steps and looks back up at the camera mounted above the door he just exited. Uh, also, by the way, on the soundtrack, through this whole sequence, the singer has been repeating this lyric. It's all about, it's all a survival. It's all a survival. Uh, through all these scenes of the perfectionists revealing their fears. Uh, and the camera beeps and the red light turns on. We get a shot of the camera feed looking down at Dylan. And Dylan says, I'm afraid I'll have to go home. Uh, and he turns away and heads back down the stairs. I feel like this scene should have come before the Mona scene. But uh, so the camera pans uh, as he gets to the bottom of the stairs, and yeah. uh, we and Dylan see some dude in a striped jacket uh, standing and watching him from about a hundred feet down the walkway. This guy looks like he might have a beard. Uh, the stripe it looks like it's reflective, like maybe this is like a jacket for running at night. Uh, and Dylan slowly turns and walks the other way, but then like ah, this is gonna bug him, so he turns back. Like what the fuck is up with that guy? But the dude's gone. Hmm. So who could this be? Nolan Hotchkiss back from the dead. Uh, somebody else from Dylan's hometown. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of like what other possible characters could this even be? It's not Andrew. Well, the question There's, we have to ask ourselves, and you have it up in front of you, is do those stripies match the striped sleeve of the person watching Mona's tape? You mean the professor at the end? No, yeah. that person has mittens on. I went and looked through the whole episode. Nobody else is wearing mittens. Okay, so it's not the same stripies. No. Okay. Uh, that's a good question then. You know, also too, the whole, the game thing, the being watched, all that shit also doesn't take away from the fun you could have of questioning if, are they in a simulated reality? Yeah. I mean like the whole video game thing. Yeah. 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 So anyway, where are we? So this dude's gone. Um, who knows who he is? This is just like another, we'll see in season two thing. So Dylan frowns and he heads the other way again. He's still looking back like to where that dude was. He's puzzled by this. And the lyric to the song that's been playing ends with, and the crazy comes out just as Nolan turns back and is startled to almost walk right into Luke. And Luke holds his hands up to calm Dylan. He says, you don't have to be afraid of me. And Dylan says, what do you want? And Luke says to apologize for how I treated you in high school. And Dylan says, what did I do to make you hate me so much? And Luke says, you got to be you. And Dylan frowns, confused, and Luke says, my family would have disowned me if they knew who I really was. I resented you because he had the balls to come out. This is definitely Paige. 
right here. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Paige had almost identical dialogue to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dylan says, so you're gay now? Like he definitely doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Luke's like, I always have been. I just couldn't admit it to anyone, including myself. And Dylan is not having it. He's like, I'm glad you figured that all out. That does not erase what you put me through. And Luke says, Dylan, I've changed. I'm not going to leave Beacon Heights until I find a way to show you who I really am. Dylan's like, I got to go. Jesus Christ, dude. I don't know. I feel like we're setting up, though, the like Eros and Psyche, Beauty and the Beast thing, where it's like you, like you, some part of you is attracted to your abuser. Like, I, first of all, I, I'm not sure I heard an actual apology there. Second of all, like, there's a way to say you're sorry and not say I'm not leaving until I find a way to show you who I really am. Like, dude, what the fuck? Well, as we've learned, nobody in the PLL is good with their words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this guy definitely has some sort of like season two love interest written all over him, or at the very least, like season two complication for Dylan and Andrew. Oh, it's like Andrew's in love with the dude who's done him wrong time and time again and will continue to do so. Now Dylan's going to be tempted by the dude who did him wrong in the past. Yeah, I don't know. It's obviously that Luke and Andrew need to go and hook up. Boom. <laughs> Andrew's like, take that. We're even. <laughs> Uh, so Luke watches and you'll be happy I did it in the apartment Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Luke watches Dylan goes a cello cover of poker face begins to play on the soundtrack he turns and walks the other way and as he passes the stairs Dr. Fielder is coming down them from the school building uh, she's talking on her cell Dr. Fielder in her phone says I just hired Allison De Laurentiis as my new TA she doesn't know it yet but she's in okay presumably in like, what like she's playing the game is the only way I could okay. read it. I mean, because obviously I just hired her as my new TA, so she's in the psychology. She even said, welcome to the psychology yeah. department. Um, I'm going to teach you what a TA actually does because I don't know if you know that from what you've been doing. Um, but yeah, your question is, is is there some new shenanigans? Are she part of them of the professors? Again, I think professor's committee. Well, it's, yeah, is a professor committee. Is this is there a connection between the professor and whatever that group that was running Mona and the pilot was, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. it all the same thing? Could yeah. this, could Dr. Fielder be working for Mona's group and not the professor's group? I don't know. And it's like, you could finally have some fun with like, like a, a collegiate spin on some of these like evil tropes, like just the, you know, the peer review of, yeah. of some of this bullshit or whatever. Yeah. So I cut to a laptop. This is our old A tag. Uh, it's open on a table next to a BHU mug. We are ten, in the studio. Ten episodes to get your your professor tag. Yeah, yeah. It's like PLL begins or whatever. Here, it's the pre. It's the prequel to an actual show. Um, on screen are five videos of all the perfs stating what they're afraid of the camera. Dave was just like, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you either. Technically, he did kill her. Um. So we switch between each of them, like taking up full screen to play. And Allison on the video is like, I'm afraid I'm too broken to be fixed. And Caitlin's like, I'm afraid I'll fail. Not just in school, but in life. Poker face is shredding or whatever. The equivalent of that on ominous cello. They're slowly pulling back. The laptop appears to be on a table in the student union. Avon video is like, I'm afraid I'll become like my father. Dylan says, I'm afraid I have to go home. Mona on video is like, dying before I find out who you are, bitch. And the professor, question mark. Reaches forward with a mittened hands to close the laptop just as Zach is coming over with a pitcher of coffee. He's wearing like wool mittens, like green mittens with white stripes, horizontal stripes on them. Zach's like, weird, but cool. Uh, Zach smiles unsuspecting. He's like, by the way, I'm now a waiter and not just a busboy. But he says, care for a refill, professor? Golly gee. He's also wearing a scarf at his job. 
He's a fancy boy. He's about to go to New York. This is my I'm going to New York scarf. It's, like, it's in eight months, but I'm really excited. I'm a fancy lad. I'm going to sleep in this scarf. <laughs> I'm only going to sleep in this scarf. The top professor off and cuts the black. Um, and the question is, who professor be? Like a sex scene in season two where him and Ava are going at it and they're both naked, but he still has a scarf on. Oh, and they're taking turns. Wrapping around each other's around neck, each other. feeling the fabric, choking. And then she, yeah. yeah, she starts choking him, and then she just fucking throttles him, and he dies. And he's just, she's like, he's like, Ava's hot. Oh, Ava, Ava, stop! And she's like, I'm almost there. And she's like, amazing. He finished. Ava becoming like one third Xenia on a top <laughs> is. Uh, I don't want to state publicly how into that I am. All right. Could she also be looking at a mirror? As she does this? Oh, I think she has to. Or, yeah. or a childhood drawing of herself. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Ava's like, you know what to do. So, yeah, he, he tops the professor's cup off and uh, we cut to black. So who could this be? Um, it, it, it probably makes more sense if it is a, a network situation because this, so we can assume this is. Network slash committee. Yeah. Not not freeform. We, yeah. we could assume that the professor is not his pet name for Ava because that would be weird. Uh, so I think we can also probably rule out Caitlin and Dylan. Nice laugh, Professor. Yeah. Allie and Mona, very slim possibilities as to who this is, but doubtful. Uh, Taylor, maybe she she was a professor. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like he would call Claire Professor, but I suppose this could be Claire. Um, that weird guy that was watching Dylan did not appear to be wearing mittens, so I don't think it was that guy. I. <laughs> it's not zoe or andrew you could maybe like jeremy is like so unlikely like that would be such like an ass pull if this was jeremy uh it's not booker it's not nolan it's not luke it's not mason it's not caitlin's mom or ava's dad so it's like who the fuck could it be it seems like unless they're pulling a fast one we have not met this person yet unless um, it's unless it's a uh, senior ball steve yeah uh-huh. uh yeah yeah um also it would be funny if our pet name for the professor was just mittens Mm-hmm. <laughs> mittens the villain um yeah i don't know man i don't I, I don't think it's anyone in the professorial speed dating thing no because i i looked through it they're all a bunch of nobodies i was i was curious i was like was dr fielder maybe in another episode i looked she wasn't who who was the woman after the guy like like professor's angularity who's the woman she's talking to i thought that woman was in the psychology department she may have been, but it wasn't Dr. Fielder. Then that seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, I because mean. Because presumably you're setting this up, that stupid fucking thing, because you want to talk about the faculty later, even though that's clearly only a, Unless a, they a didn't third. even know yet. <laughs> you know, Oof. like. Well, like, what's the point of having a writer's room is crafting a season if then, like, you're just going to be like, yeah, we're throwing out the playbook for the finale. Yeah. This is our Hail Mary. Yeah, there was like, I believe it was a Dr. Wag or a Mrs. Wagner or Dr. Wagner okay. earlier. Uh, so that was the episode. So that was the season. You want to talk about the text messages? You want to talk about the bonus scene? Um, so I feel like you have more to say about the text messages than me. To me, I'm, every time I see those, I just like, I, 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 my face makes that emoji of like the straight line. Mm. Like not frowning, not smiling. That's well, my reaction. I'm going to quote one of our listeners, Andrew, who brought up a great point with the completely out of character one of Allison. I need to drive out of town to text the four OG liars about this bullshit. And they're all like, we love you. We support you, whatever, blah, blah, blah. There's no way your friends would hear this and not 
do something. Yeah. Well, and it, and it I think it he completely takes this, the wind out of the sails. I think Andrew also pointed out that this kind of steps on a potential dramatic scene later. If yeah. you were able to get a cameo from one of those actors to have them discover on camera, on screen, you know, like mm-hmm. that this is going on rather than be like, oh, yes, you texted me about that many months ago. Well, especially Emily as your ex-wife, yeah. who for some reason you're sending basically like you up mm-hmm. texts to. Like, you're not going to tell me that, like, the, the surprise season two finale, Emily shows up, and how's it? How's this whole thing of the professor going? And Mona's like, hold the fucking phone. You've known about this? Where the fuck have you been? Um, it, it's it's garbage, man. It's And then the sad thing is, it's like they're touting it, like, oh, yeah, this is kind of sort of canon. It's like, just call it pure fan service. Yeah. Just say that, yeah. I'm surprised, like, whatever the Freeform Unlimited thing that they're pushing on their website... I'm surprised they don't have an app called Fan Service. They can just change the network name to that. Yeah, well, there you go. Then the bonus scene. Yeah, so I just watched this on like Instagram. Um, so this aired after the episode. I don't know. I, or, I had to it watch. It seems it on like YouTube. it came in the middle from just like looking at Twitter and the timestamps. I, I had to watch it on YouTube. It uh, it's like brought to you by Aladdin, and it's just like <laughs> Taylor chilling at the the Riverwell like resort. Well-being, wellness center or whatever um which looks like a resort she is chilling out that looks like a cool rehab place to go to mm-hmm. um she's just like in a robe at the pool with her airpods in like with a little like eye mask on you know and then it's like what would you wish for is like the setup and then it's like the oh nolan's there suddenly and she takes off her eye mask and nolan's just like i'm here taylor and she's like i never got to say goodbye sorry i couldn't protect you or something like that she asks if it's real and he yeah. like doesn't matter mm-hmm. it's very weird and then she wakes up like it's clearly a dream but it's like kind of in that like old did allison come and visit me in the middle of the night and steal my pills kind of pla way it's written by marlene's assistant ali cron devico Who's um and I guess they're just getting that Aladdin money. I don't yeah. She's done some background artist work. She's appeared in Gilmore Girl. She's friends of Nikki Koss. Um I I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know what to say about it. I I'm gonna assume it's not canon or something. I don't know. Well, the funny thing is in her her Instagram post, uh, the assistant who wrote it said, uh, since Marlene oversaw it, it's canon. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, so Brian J. Holdman's joining the staff in in whatever season two will if, be if we get one yeah um i saw a little bit of an interview with eli brown where he talked about his acting past and he said he's done a little bit of theater i love that he did a production of death trap which is a great became a great movie of michael kane and christopher reeve it's very cool if you're into the pll like i think most people would love to see that movie um i got an interesting message on facebook from one of our listeners named melissa ann talking about i think we kind of covered some of it but she's a criminal defense attorney who says she constantly like throws her phone mm-hmm. whenever booker shows up and says don't worry officers this run a cop is handling this hit and run um and she kind of laid out there's uh i'm not gonna read all this uh, but it was, it was awesome she does the whole thing where like there is a way that you could kind of do this but that's not what they do no <laughs> um so thanks melissa yeah, and I had just think I was thinking like knowing what we know now, like the way they could have set this show up. I was thinking it'd be interesting if maybe part of the experiment was to like push people like what will you do like but not just like have the types of blackmail be different. Like if like maybe for Caitlin the blackmail for her would be like political where it's like 
I could take down your mom, which would like, you know, that would break the tie in the Senate or something. It'd have like major ramifications. Like we're mm-hmm. going to see what she'll do for politics or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, or for Dylan, it's like, we're going to just, you're a selfish person. We're going to see how far you'll go for yourself. You know, for Allie, we'll see how far you'll go for your family. Ramona, we're going to see how you, like, you're the only one who's not being blackmailed. I just wanted you here. Cause I know you're curious. You're a human computer. Yeah. I'm going to open you up. I, I, you want to be here. You know, mm-hmm. I don't even have to ask you. Uh, you're going to be my control, you know, like that kind of thing. Guess what, Mona? I'm going to reboot you. <laughs> but yeah, like you need to get Caitlin back into the shit with her mom because that was her starting point. Well, the funny thing is, is like 7B of PLL, it seemed like with the game, The Liar's Lament, it's like they suddenly had this reinvigoration of ideas of things they could do. For like that were five episodes, yeah. Well, it was so truncated because it's like right. the show was wrapping up and you had this other massive thing that we didn't know how to like dole out. Um, and I kind of would love if some of the people who had those ideas, who were clearly reinvigorated, were able to bring them into the professor thing because that would be... I mean, if you're going to play Psychological Warfare, there's a lot of ways you could do this fucking shit, you know? So. Yeah, I mean, I now that I see where we are, I feel a lot better about a season two. I just I hope that they can maybe learn from how season one went and and just be like, maybe some of the stuff we don't need, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we can uh, do some adjustments. So, yeah, in a week or two, we'll do like a wrap up episode, might send out like a call for some questions, you know, do a little Q&A and we'll try to, uh, I don't know, come up with what we would do for season two questions about the perfectionist, but also maybe questions about trouble for people to start reading it. Perhaps. Yeah. That'll be been a week or two for people to read the books and maybe we can answer some questions there. Uh, my response to everything will just be wait for it, but you know, ask away. Cause some people might get copies in their hot little hands tonight. That's true. If anyone shows up. Yeah. If no one shows up, we're just going to give them to the bartender. Uh, we Here's did your tip. We did get one review. Thank you to Kate Luce or Kate Luke uh, who left us a nice review. Hashtag Taylor has got a gun. Um, yeah, that was season one. They haven't even said they're making a season two. So I can assume it could be a while before we're doing a season two podcast. But uh, if they are, we'll be back and we'll certainly be back in a week or two. It, yeah, it sounds like they're waiting to hear ideas. Which is nice that they're giving them that chance, but you know what quick, I mean? let me look up the rating. But it's yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it's like, all right, you've had some dicey ratings. What would you even do if a season two? Mm-hmm. It's gotta be better than what you've done. All right. Vamp for a moment as I look up some readings. And at some point we'll come back with headcan. I think we might take a little bit of a break. Yeah, we'll our other podcast headcanon will be yeah. back for that. But uh, yeah, seriously, folks, please, we'd really appreciate if you check out Trouble. I think if you like PLO, it's right up your alley. And um, it's a little fucked up. It's a little sweet. It's kind of funny that it would enter anything as children's detective stories when it's not totally a book for children. <laughs> it's, it's maybe a YA novel in the way that YA novels are always for adults. <laughs> yeah. So the ratings for S1E10 were a 0.12 in the 1849 demo. That's up from a 0.11 before. So the low point of the season was the second episode and then the uh, seventh episode both pulled a 0.09 and it's been going up one point. Like it went from 0.09 to 0.10 to 0.11 to 0.12 the last four episodes. Um, and there were uh, point so 265,000 people viewed 
Um, this is just like the overnights, mm-hmm. which was up a lot from the previous ones, up about 27%. So it's a, it's averaging a 0.12, basically. The the finale was the average. The the premiere was a 0.18, which they never got close to again. So I just, I think you can't softly call it PLL season eight. It's, it's a new show with, with a lot of things from PLL. Mm-hmm. You ha- I don't know if the season one has established enough identity to keep crashing it into Riverdale. No, that seems like a miscalculation to me. So a new night and time would be probably ideal. Maybe on Tuesday when PLL was aired. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that was the season. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hope to see some of you tonight in a few hours at the Angel City Brewery. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to do a wrap up pod. Yeah, see you then. Bye bye.